Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. I mean, I was the black, I was the blackest person <laughs> on that plane. Like everyone, like Sweden is the whitest country in the world, yeah. with one exception, yeah. Iceland. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and it's going from the, the, going ba- from the best bit was like when the steward, the, the, the stewardess, I can't, you can't say it anymore, the flight attendant got on that thing and was like, you know, and in, uh, you know, 7B, we have a gay Jew, and you, if you want to go pet him or pack him, <laughs> he might get turned on because I don't know about them, but we don't have them. He's almost like a Negro. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast this is your almost weekly rhetorical assault in the news cycle the people that make it and occasionally ourselves i'm camille foster i do lots of things that is called briefing this is episode i think it's 117 but it's definitely october 10th 2018 so tuesday night and not a wednesday night which we've been recording on wednesdays for a little while um and uh i am excited to be here and i'm excited because there's so many fantastic people around me and I mean, like, really, really fantastic. We have Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, who's back in the building and in the room, which is great. Michael C. Moynihan, national correspondent for HBO's Vice News Tonight, also in the building and in the room. Yes. Our uh, friend, our fellow traveler, Mr. Anthony Fisher, who is currently the senior editor at The Week, which this is, might be the last week I say that, um, and I managed to get it correct, and I don't want to get any shit about it. Um, but he is on his way to his new gig, where he'll be the politics editor at Insider. Which, Fisher, uh, is Business Insider business and Insider, they're the same thing. Are they transitioning or something? They are transitioning, if okay. we're allowed to call it that. We're uh, allowed to call it that. I think it's fine. That's that's uh, in honor of everyone who's don't o- do otherwise transitioning. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's officially <laughs> Insider, but it both are acceptable. Just like Cutter and Cutter. Well, we have a guest with us. It's Josh Zepps, ladies and gentlemen. He is G'day, uh, Cobber. Uh, I'm so uh, bloody mature. Oh, uh, I got more culture than uh, a yogurt factory. By the way, I just want to point out, someday, sometimes people um, email and they say nice things and sometimes they say dumb things and periodically they say, why don't you have cameras where you can uh, shoot this like uh, Joe Rogan does because everybody loves to watch <laughs> Joe Rogan sit in a chair for some reason. I do wish we had one today because you would turn, you'd flip on your television your, your, your telly, telly mm. and uh, you would say, oh, my God, it's Australia's Freddie Mercury, <laughs> Josh Zepps, who has uh, a real push-brew mustache going on here. Now, let me to explain. Now, let me some stubble. Yeah. They call it stubby. So yeah. I, I became, oh, I have an explanation. <laughs> I, I became a father, and when you become a father, you have to grow a mustache. Is that Se- right? Secondly, my, uh, my beard trimmer ran out of, uh, of, of power halfway through my shaving my face. Is that right? Yeah, so I accidentally just ended up with a slight mustache and then I was like you know what why don't we just turn this into a kind of almost a cultural prank on my friends and just keep it growing so now I am a 1970s porn star because (laughs) if any of you out there I'll take a picture and we can post it on Instagram because if any of you are out there and I know so many listeners have told me that they've thought of this what would it be like if cruising was made in Australia (laughs) it would be like kind of a start it would be like Josh Sepps Josh Sepps is yeah looking good oh my god I want to that's him. Well, it's lovely to see you again, Michael, as well. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> last time I saw you was uh, in a bar in About Williamsburg. four months ago in Williamsburg. Yeah, right. yeah. After the last time I did this show. Yes, it was very fun. Oh, we had a good time. Good. I'm like, why are you looking good at time, that, Matt? 
Uh, no. My private license is <laughs> your judging. damn business. There's no judgment here. <laughs> I did want I did want to say though, the entire show is based on judging <laughs> things. Come on. But I, I did talk about you guys and what you do, and I, I wanted to be just underscore that Josh uh, that Josh Zepps, our very good friend, is a radio and TV host. He has produced this podcast that he is on regularly called We the People Live, which many of you will be familiar with. Um, he is his show popular among intellectual dark web types. Uh, also, uh, he is the host of a weekly panel show on Australia's public broadcaster, Radio National. I be say, you said that you like, also you called like that, Radio like, National. You've yeah. never heard yeah. those two words. <laughs> radio National. <laughs> the word radio and the word well, I, ra- Radio National. Well, you know what it is. It's, 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 just, the, it's just called Radio National. It's the anarcho-capitalist in me. It's very hard for me to say that with enthusiasm and not like actually <laughs> yeah. a little bit. God forbid have, it. But your show was recently was recently renewed. So yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Great. And the show is called The People Versus, which is available globally Can I also just wherever say, fine podcasts are served. I don't know why every show that I do has the word people in it somewhere. But I, I realize <laughs> oh, really? that I've somehow stumbled into, the, wow. into having We The People Live and also The People Versus. Both available on all good podcasts. Wait, you didn't you didn't name it the people. I, I did, and then I didn't. And then I hadn't really thought about what I was doing. I, I think it's also worth pointing out that uh, Josh uh, Zepps is uh, quite a celebrity in uh, in uh, Australia. He's huge in Australia. He's big in Australia. Yeah, he's he's like the Yahoo Sirius <laughs> of Australia, who is also Australian. So he can't actually be the Yahoo Sirius of Australia. I, is Yahoo Sirius still alive? He's big. He was he's big in Australia. And your, da- your dad was something uh, big. In yeah, Australia too. he's, he's an very actor. famous. Right, he was a famous actor. Yeah, yeah he well, is. I mean, he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm yeah. talking about him in the past yeah. tense. I've just never he's met retired. him. So to me, he's, he's not with us anymore. Um, <laughs> but what was he, what was that in? It doesn't make any sense. He was in the most successful sitcom, uh, uh, probably of all time in Australia called oh. Mother and Son. <laughs> I thought it was going to be called Crikey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mother and Son. Yes. He was never, was he ever in Neighbors or Home and Away? No, he didn't. He wasn't that kind of actor. He was like an a shit actor. actor you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. He was primarily a, the- a theater actor. Can I, okay. can I just ask quickly, Good. what is the, what was the premise of Mother and Son? Is it like Full it, House? Cosby Show. Uh, it was uh, an an elderly woman who is losing her mind. It was a dark comedy, uh, and who is living with her son. And my dad was the uh, the other son who is a wealthy orthodontist who she loves, but she resents the son who she lives with, uh-huh. even though he does everything for her. She just likes my dad's character. I just imagine myself being behind a huh. desk while you're pitching that. And I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> no. Only do you have, us, a, do you have a guy with a huge knife uh, <laughs> that can come to America? Yeah. Your dad, I'm sure we talked about this probably live, but I was so drunk. I don't remember any of it. But uh, uh, he's like has a crazy immigration story, too. To yeah. Get to Australia yeah. To yeah. Yeah. He was he was born in a refugee camp in Switzerland during the war and uh, to, to Jewish parents who, who penniless pendul- parents. Polish refugees who were fle- fleeing their way around France. And, uh, yeah, after the war, his mum managed to scrounge together enough money, which she was no longer with his dad, to go to the, the port in France where all the boats were moving to the leaving to the New World, and she'd just spent the past decade being hunted by Nazis. And she said, uh, they said, where do you want to go, the US, Canada, or Australia? And she said, which one's further away from here? Mm, is that right? Wow. She said, Australia. Shit, I'll take that one. Oh. I thought I thought you were going to say she got it on a boat and she was like, "Wait, where is this going?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Nazis were bad enough, and now I got to be in Australia. Can I, can I share something else with I you guys related to 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 media? Because this this past weekend, I saw um, First Man. I see you, one hand, and the face you're making is Camille. Exactly, how good is First Man? Uh, it's a, and yeah, that that's yep. precisely what you want to know, and I'm happy to uh, tell uh-huh. you yeah. that Not I like saw, you already fucking texted me. About I it. saw that film. <laughs> Two times. Oh my God. Friday 
and Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And I went to like the 1045 Did you see in, show in IMAX? In IMAX, yeah. in Lincoln Square. Did you yeah. see it? Yeah, Lincoln Lincoln. Oh. Uh, you know, the, the true IMAX. Oh, my God. One of the best oh IMAX my gosh. theaters. In, in, in between screenings, I read the the biography that the book is based on and rewatched Apollo 13 before going to see the screening. So Friday afternoon. Kid? Nerd. Yeah, yeah, I did. I do. And I was re- I was reading the book to her at times so that she could aspire to greatness. I've got to say, Damien Chazelle is wow. now three for three in terms of like my favorite films of the 21st century. I didn't see La La Land. Whiplash is an incredible film. I love La La really Land good. despite a lot of people poo-pooing it. And, and this is incredible. It's so good. Yeah. It is it, so good. So go and see it now and find it a real IMAX theater. Yes. Dear listener, because this isn't something you want to see on a plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's Maybe great. I, and I, I mean, don't... quite apart from the fact that it has to do with terrifying <laughs> uh, feats of uh, a flight, a flight. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil this. I don't want to spoil this for anyone. Um, he, but I will mention one thing. <laughs> they do make it to the moon. Yeah. The, my favorite. One of my favorite elements of the film. Not the, my favorite part, because this is like you know, it's ironic that this was film. also shot on a soundstage. Just like the <laughs> wow, not true. Exactly, not true. When I saw them shooting that, but there is a point um, where the launch is getting ready to happen, and I already said there's a spoiler here. And this guy is singing about Whitey on the moon, and I I laughed uncontrollably both times. Whitey on the moon? You have oh, to it's go an actual see the thing. film it's to get a, it. That's a historical. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, oh. I got it. It was in the uh, it's in the autobiography, which I which what. Yeah, the biography, not autobiography, that I read um, over the weekend. You know what else I picked up? Um, Norman Mailer's book um, of a fire, uh, of on, a the fire on the moon. That's some which overwritten. I am. Yeah. yeah, it's overwritten, but it's pretty good. I had no idea that Norman Mailer had stabbed his wife twice oh, with yeah. a pen knife. Oh, of course, oh, yeah. yeah. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah. And yeah. talked about it on television, uh, oh, kind yeah. of indirectly, oh, yeah. the yeah. very next day. Yeah. yeah. How is what? the video of that not me, available? Me, yeah, yeah, Michael, Michael and I have some things. I, 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 let me let me tell you what else. What other movie to watch, which I don't think is available at the IMAX, is a movie early seventies. Very hard to get if anyone wants it email me and I'll, I'll i'll put up a wee transfer link seriously um to a movie called uh, town bloody hall which was town hall in new york was it was you know it's still actually a venue uh, downtown it sounds like an australian movie well town there's bloody a, hall mate there's an there's an aussie character <laughs> we're gonna tell about it now and it is a debate with norman mailer against Feminists, and this is early 1970s, and one of whom is Jermaine Greer. Was he still wow. famous? Oscar he wasn't stabbing them though. Uh, no, it was Jermaine Greer. I can't remember who the other one was. Was it maybe Susan Brownmill or something like that? Uh, and then the normal person was Diana Trilling, the wife of the great Lionel Trilling, who wrote Middle of the Middle of the Journey. Um, and it is so funny because he's a left-wing intellectual of the time, just doing the kind of intellectual version of Bobby Riggs. Yes, you know he's. It, it is a very funny movie. Um, Mailer is funny and he's just it's like one of those things that would be referenced in a Woody Allen early 70s Woody Allen movie we're going to you know to town hall to see you know and, then, and the next thing you know they're like sitting in front of Jimmy Greer and it's like it's a thing that used to happen Jill Johnston and Jacqueline Celebos oh is it, who, who is who are they Anthony Jill Johnston and Jacqueline Celebos two people that are rightfully forgotten by the culture by the way yeah. do you know but a funny Jim- movie you should check it out yeah Jermaine, Jermaine Greer is now uh, persona non grata with the left because she's Absolutely. supposedly transphobic she's because transphobic. she's a first wave feminist well, second wave feminist who believes that women are women 
Yep. Like she's not transphobic. She's like, you can be whatever you want to be. Like well, it's totally fine to get a sexual transition. That's a badge. But that, but it's a different. Like you have, if you haven't had the experience of growing up as a little girl, then you are a different type of thing yep. than uh, a woman in from the perspective of her as a feminist. Hmm. And and to imagine that the author of the female eunuch is now persona non grata, <laughs> whatever yeah. wave we're on of feminism now. The book that I used to uh, uh, prescribe to people uh, was the answer for me to the question of. What is a book that you read that you violently disagree with its politics, but you think is totally persuasive and hugely entertaining to read? And the the answer, no, it's not. It's not entertaining at all to read because it's written in Russian. And that's a bad language. Uh, No, the answer is The Prisoner of Sex by Norman Mailer, which came out in 73, 74, um, in which he defends stabbing his wife. He talks about Gavin McInnes-like, about how masturbation is immoral. He says all kinds of, of things that are crazy, crazy, crazy. It's a broadside attack against first wave feminism in a way that I'm sure if, if people rediscovered it now, uh, they would be even more shocked than they were at the time. And he's at the height of his powers as a writer then. He's about ready to not have those powers anymore. Uh, but he was so good for a stretch there from the mid sixties to around the mid seventies yeah. with a couple of like stinkers, like a, fi- <laughs> a fire on the moon is a little bit. He, he's got a couple of, stuff. Uh, yeah. uh, but it, it is really good. I recommend it to everybody. But it's about, it's about space travel. And the reason I know is because a couple of pages into fire on the moon, he describes the of a fire on the moon. That's I'm sorry. Yeah. Damn it. No, but I mean, that shows how poncy it is. Yeah, I, of a fire I mean, the you're the one who's pushing it here, <laughs> but, but, but he, by, but he by opens yeah. up with an anecdote about having stabbed his wife in the 1960s, <laughs> which is like, yeah. Huh? I'm sorry. That's a weird. Is that thing. not a good opener? That's some sort of weird literary twist. What the hell happened? No, no, here? He was a complete rat bag in every wow. possible way. Um, and stabbed her, and then stood over her body, yeah. saying, "Let her, let her die." Yeah. I mean, by the way, all, I mean, also remember that William Burroughs um, shot his wife, right? Yeah, kind of in the head. Yeah, in the head, doing an apple, a, a William t- t- tell apple trick. So there was a, huh. a lot of violence against women at it's the a time. More but start to the show. Um, but you know, it is uh, Miami and the Siege of Chicago. The two essays that Mailer wrote, his two famous ones, are deservedly famous, and they're terrific. And the New York Review of Books has um, reissued them oh, really? in one volume. They're hmm. terrific. I buy them. It's one is, of course, all of the yippies trying to levitate the Pentagon um, during the. During the Vietnam War, which that's a, that's Armies of the Night. Uh, Armies of the Night is the uh, is the Pentagon levitation. You sure? Yeah. At Miami, what rate are we losing listeners? Uh, no, no, no. This, yeah, this, yeah, this, we don't this, have any. Actually, yeah. So it's they fine. Love, they love Miami. This. And the yeah. siege of Chicago is uh, the is the convention conventions of '68. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, I thought there was a levitation there, um, but that's yeah. That and, and the other thing is to, to books that you disagree with. I think this is actually a pretty good one, and I love that we do this periodically. Throw things out there and make our listeners uh, participate. It's like doing crowd work. And they end up responding. But they, I think my book, where I would disagree with the politics um, but love the book, is uh, Warren Henkel, uh, who died last year, I think, or two years ago. Um, Warren Henkel, uh, who, who, who wrote a book, If Life Gives You Lemons, Make Lemonade, which is very, very funny. Phenomenal book. Phenomenal book. And he was the editor of Ramparts, the New Left magazine mm-hmm. in the 60s yeah. uh, that uh, gave us a lot of kind of the, the great sort of New Left figures and some of the bad ones like David Horowitz was briefly the editor of, of, of Ramparts. Um, and one final thing before we get into the actual show. I found out on the way over here that um, um, some of you know who this is, is that Dennis Hoff died today. Yeah. And um, Dennis Hoff was the proprietor of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Las Vegas and the star of the Uh HBO uh, show Cat House from about 20 years ago. And I had a book that came out a couple of years, two, three years ago 
which was his memoir, which I assisted him with. Um, oh, and Dennis, huh. uh, Dennis is a really interesting dead guy. A dead guy. He was running for some. <laughs> he was running for a uh, uh, state assembly. State that, assembly as a Republican. As a Republican, like he won the primary. He won the primary, and uh, he will not get through now. And he was found by Ron Jeremy. Yes, yes, he, Ron, right. yes Ron Jeremy was, was his party with him and Joe Arpaio on his seventy-second birthday and woke up dead. Wow. Yeah, that's a lesson. Yeah, it's a hell of a party. Yeah, didn't wake up dead actually, though, Matt. Correction, right? You party and I might have a different conception dead. of the afterlife. <laughs> yeah, friends. yeah, this is true. Yeah, this it's is uh, like Peter Fonda whispering in your ear, and, and you're John Lennon. That's a she said, she said reference. Um, you know what I'm talking I, I about? Do. I, yeah, okay. Sadly, okay. Google it. But uh, also, who is uh, was it? Uh, Odom. Uh, Lamar, is that his name? Yeah. What? Lamar Burton? Lamar Odom. <laughs> all he, look, they all he, look lovely. He was the one that had the drug overdose. That was in Dennis's... Uh, yeah, that's right. So, and yeah. Dennis, not- Dennis is a really, really... Really sweet guy. Which is interesting because it's not uh, the really most highbrow him. establishment. If Lamar Odom, you know, this former NBA Dennis wasn't a very highbrow guy. But I'm saying yeah. that Lamar Odom, former NBA champion, I would expect if you're going to go have a bender and hook up with hookers, maybe yeah. do it in a little more upscale a place. But, yeah, not the McDonald's. You know, but, the, but, the but, speaking, but speaking of troubled geniuses. So anyway, rest in peace. Um, Kanye West went to visit Donald Trump. We didn't talk about this at all last week because it happened on Thursday and we recorded on Wednesday night. But I did briefly want to underscore the fact that Kanye, generally speaking, when he talks about public policy, has no earthly idea what he's talking about. <laughs> um, that, that's Just said, public policy. That, well, listen, when he talks about music, he, he knows a fair amount about it. He yeah. probably knows more about fashion than most people. But the mistreatment and the disparaging that Kanye West endured after his visit to the White House, I found somewhat troublesome, um, especially when it got into discussing mental illness, something that Kanye has acknowledged struggling with, although at the White House he retreated from his earlier diagnosis of bipolar and said a new doctor said that he was just sleep deprived. That's what a bipolar person would say. <laughs> so maybe, um, but I do, I do Kanye, Kanye West, if, if nothing else, perhaps all I'm saying is just call me. Like, <laughs> yeah. We should talk. I could be of much more value to you than Candace Owens. How much he is knows some people say. that you know. This is true. We have friends in common. Why don't you let's stop this madness? I mean, we have uh, friends that we won't mention on the show that you have in common, but also Charlemagne, who Charlemagne's been on the show, hasn't he? No, I don't know. He hasn't. No, but he's we need a friend to do on their show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlemagne, I mean, kind of. I don't know that we're that. We, I wouldn't. Yeah, say that we're but that like, cool. yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, I he mean, I know him a bit. I can talk to his bodyguard every time I try to text. Maybe if you say, tell hey, Charlemagne, Charlemagne comes yeah, up. you tell Charlemagne that Camille should talk to Kanye, and let's see if that works. I don't. All right, I'll text him and, and ask him because they're friends. Yeah, although they they're canceled buddies. a mental illness to, uh, conversation that they were going to be having with the New York Times because Charlemagne thought he would Kanye would be a distraction. Because he's mentally ill. <laughs> well, no, because of the current hysteria and controversy surrounding Kanye. So that's that's it. I, I just wanted to say that. All right, nice. Let's move on to, to the much more prominent stories that are still unfolding. Um, we have the disappearing of a journalist in Turkey, um, perhaps at the hands of the Saudis, which I think we you can think? talk about. Uh, well, listen, there yeah. could be some rogue factions or persons who are involved in An this. Irish street gang. We're not sure. <laughs> that happens talk a lot. We are, well, I mean, we are sure because he went into the embassy and didn't come out of the embassy. So. Well, <laughs> I believe the Saudis control their own embassy. <laughs> um, we also have uh, we have some recent street brawls uh, going on. Uh, Josh, I suspect there might be some things that you could uh, update us on with respect to Australia. Um, and maybe yeah, we'll Australia's get gone in, batshit crazy. Maybe we'll get 
get into some other stuff, um, like the latest with uh, Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren's revenge, or perhaps ascendancy to the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. Yeah, it could be that. Maybe not going to happen. But I suspect we should probably start in Turkey. Jamal Khashoggi, October 2nd, goes to visit the Saudi consulate in Turkey and goes in and does not come out. Apparently his fiance was waiting for him. He was going there to try to get some documentation. Um, it was a wedding. So they could get, so that and they and could just get to clarify, married. he's not just uh, some like non-American rando. He lived in, right. in New Jersey, I think, Virginia, or in Virginia. Virginia. Uh, he was a columnist for the Washington Post uh-huh. uh, and a Saudi. He, he didn't even call himself a Saudi dissident. He didn't like that term. He was very, very pro-Saudi Arabia. He loved his country and he'd been forced out when the when the current leader of, of Saudi Arabia was... And, ke- and was, keep in mind, he worked for the royal family. Yeah, he was right. uh, basically he was very close press, to them. He was press secretary, more or less, for, for the royal family. Yeah. So he was no he was no wild uh, you know, anti royalist. He, right. he just he just well, wanted moderate reforms, oh. and he was driven out and had been living in the states. Fell in love. He'd been divorced before, and uh, just needed to get some papers done, and so had to go into the the embassy. And they they scheduled an appointment with him and got him to come inside. And uh, then the the rumor that the Turkish government claims is that uh, that a hit squad was sent from Saudi Arabia to assassinate him and chop him up into little pieces. A group of fifteen people who flew in on a private plane from Saudi Arabia. On October 2nd. Um, and interestingly, the Saudis acknowledge that these people flew in, um, but the Saudis say that these were just tourists who were there. Well, wasn't there subsequently out? some suggestion? You sent me a link, Camille, that uh-huh. from Haaretz, I think, saying that they, they had anticipated that maybe the Saudis were going to say that it had been an attempted abduction. Well, this, yeah. this appeared in the, in the New York Times as well as yeah. early as this morning, and it's Tuesday morning. Which sounds like there bullshit was, to me. Reports, it sounds like the sort of thing that you yeah. would say to try to distance the crown prince from culpability and assassinating people. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, suspect they will try this too. I mean, and this, as you point out, they went to the embassy and, and, and didn't come out. And the they specific... don't really have a, any way of... I mean, if, you, if, if, if he never comes out, they have a lot of surveillance footage all around. They never see him come out. And they have a, a Turkish team that went in and swept... Uh, the embassy and said, um, you know, obviously on background, as they always do, to the pro-government newspapers in Turkey that they found significant evidence that there was um, a struggle and uh, likely. Well, I mean, murder. obviously there was. Again, he didn't come out of the fucking embassy. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. So yeah. obviously something happened in there. Yeah. So but there there are a couple of things here. I mean, the, the first thing is that the, the Turks in the United States have a somewhat difficult, challenging relationship of late um, with respect to the conflict that's taking place in Syria right next door and their difference of, differences of perspective with respect to the Kurds. Um, the Turks also have a, a bit of a strained relationship with the Saudis at this point, and there seemed to be a moment there where the Saudis and the Turks were talking and things started to get a bit quiet. For whatever reason, this particular story has really caught fire and taken hold, and there is a global narrative um, and a lot of people who are paying very close attention to this. And it's the sort of thing that has risen to the point where the president of the United States dispatches Mike Pompeo to go and talk to the Saudis face to face to say, hey, the hell is going on here? Let's get some answers. Um, the I'm not sure that's the direct transcript. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of similar. Although with Donald Trump, you never know. Um, but in this particular case, the expectation was that there would be some statement. This is what you were referring to earlier, Josh, that there would be some statement emerging from the Saudis where they would say, yeah, we were trying to rendition him and it was an interrogation that got botched and he ended up dying. Of course, it's not obvious how you end up dismembered 
as a consequence of a botched interrogation, which is what the Turks are actually suggesting happened here. Um, also, no, that, that, nobody has been recovered. Pointing yet, out that so that, that is obviously the most benign possible explanation that you could give for the fact that someone who you know the crown prince hated entered an embassy and then didn't come out. So that's why I regard it with suspicion. It, but, but but I mean, even the more benign one, which I suspect they'll they'll try, is a sort of variation of that, which is that they know that MBS, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, uh-huh. uh, didn't like this guy very much. And the that's where Donald Trump got the rogue elements thing from, that uh, a bunch of guys freelanced and went yeah, down, yeah, of course they'll try getting to get a tip the, from somebody yeah. in the embassy, and they went and they were like, they had no idea what was going on. No, I mean, and of course, this is what you get. Um, uh, it's the it's from the Putin playbook. Is that you know all of Putin's enemies end up dead, but you know there's a lot of people that like me and a lot of people doing doing the stuff on their own. Yeah. And a Polskaya, these people they they end up dead, but you know it wasn't us. But you know she shouldn't have made so many enemies, and that's that's I imagine something like that might be coming. No, we're still awaiting additional details related to the Pompeo um, meeting today. What we do know <coughs> is what Donald Trump tweeted earlier this afternoon. Um, and that tweet, face. that tweet was a bit, well, that that's another tweet. Um, but today, Sorry. But, this, but this tweet later in the afternoon is just spoke with crown, with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who totally denied any knowledge of what took place in their Turkish consulate. That is very weird phrasing. Um, he was, he was, uh, with secretary of state, Mike Pompeo. And then he continues in the second tweet, uh, during the call and told me that he has already started and will rapidly expand a full and complete investigation into the matter Answers will be forthcoming shortly. We also had someone from the State Department who said on that um, Pompeo thanked the Saudis for their very transparent and comprehensive investigation into this matter. And Saudis, about an hour before we started, uh, Trump, uh, I think, spoke uh, to the Associated Press, the Associated yeah. Press yeah. and compared uh, the accusations against uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and MBS to the accusations against Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> Said, yeah. And said, yeah. oh, guilty until amazing. proven innocent. I thought you were going to say yeah. Russian collusion. Yeah. The entire perspective on that yes. narrative was going to change. I mean, what I think is interesting about uh, about this is just the question of, so we know that Trump presents himself as a pretty transactional person and that he went to Saudi Arabia and trumpeted this vastly overinflated figure of like hundreds of billions of dollars in arms deals. It's which actually is just most, a continuation of the same. It's actually thing. just mostly a continuation of Obama era uh, deals uh, and, and sort of letters of promise that weren't actually uh, contracts. But... I I find the the question of whether or not America is a country that believes in more than just money to be an interesting one. That that when I was growing up, I think there was a plausible case to be made that America really was there there was some reason to believe that America was serious about it's being better than other nations and it's caring about human rights and democracy and the institutions of international law. This was pre 9-11, I guess. And there was a, a definite erosion of that and a sense that America is actually just a, a global hypocrite after 9-11 because of the Iraq war, I think, basically. And is this now one more kind of, uh, I guess, one more cut in the, in, in the body of American um, credibility, American moral credibility? Or is Trump's sort of openness about the transactional nature of global politics 
in some way refreshing because mm. in in the past America talked about how it was better than other nations and it was going to hold other leaders to higher standards and mm-hmm. you couldn't just mm-hmm. go around killing journalists, especially Ameri- people who are residents of America. And this is a whole other question that I kind of want am interested in teasing apart. Like, does it matter that the guy was a resident of the United States? Does it matter that he wasn't a citizen of the United States? Would it be different if he were a citizen of the United States? Would it be different if he weren't a resident of the United States? I stand in relationship to the United States of America in the same relationship as Khashoggi did. I'm a, a legal resident, but a non-citizen. Is like, Should the US turn more of a blind eye towards what happens to me than it would to a citizen? Mm. Probably. About five to 10 degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably, I mean, right. But to your, I think it's, I think it's the, the right point. But one of the things that I would underline here is the word journalist, because we, ha- we hold journalists as uh, this special class of citizens that we're supposed to get ex- especially exercised about. And Do- as, Donald, Donald, as Donald Trump Do- mentioned. Donald Trump mentioned. 60, he said, well, you know, it's, it's even worse. This guy was a journalist. Um, you know, and this is a, a regime that beheads people in the streets, right? This is a regime that imprisons dissidents in the most vile and vulgar conditions. Recently. It's a regime mm-hmm. that literally, I mean, like the, like, these are like street beheadings. I mean, this is like just randomly, extemporaneously cutting people's heads off. There are videos of this stuff. We don't mind it then. I mean, it, human rights being violated. Women couldn't drive until MBS said, hey, by the way, let me distract you with women being allowed to drive now, and I'm going to be a complete scumbag. It's a small price to pay to get you to guys all to think that I'm pretty awesome. Meanwhile, you can't leave the Ritz-Carlton without paying your uh, bounty. Well, I mean, yes, and exactly, uh, holding people, uh, you know, his political enemies hostage. But all There's a but the- million things that the yeah. Do that should offend our sense of decency. This one is one of them for sure, but we are getting exercised because the people that are reporting on this are the people that do the same job as the guy who disappeared in the embassy. Yeah, but it also was, his residency matters, I think. Yes, I, it does. We, we it don't does. Give a shit it does. About I actually citizens. saw a headline that said American, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and said exactly. that and, was and wrong. We, but we have, we have drones that are smoking Pakistanis into pink mist every day. But and why, we don't give a shit about but them. Keep in mind, Pakistani that, residents, but Pakistani keep in mind, at the same time, there is this um, conference that was being held. In, in, in Saudi, um, that was this Davos week, two. Davos two, the the um, Saudi Davos, and there are people from all over the world, countries from all you know, all from Europe, etc., who are pulling out. And Khashoggi, Tammy has Diamond's out. No relationship. Out. Ariana so, Huffington's out. Yeah. Wow. And she's my former boss. What, what is what That's is so? What is that? Is it just the the journalism thing? Is it is it a lot primarily of it. that he he happened to live here? Because it it does seem relevant to me. I, I and, think, and Matt, I want to ask a question about what aboutism while I'm posing this. But it does seem relevant to me that m- the litany of things that you just unraveled there. This isn't stuff that started with the Trump regime. This has been going on for a very long time. The history of the country of Saudi Arabia. And, as, and certainly that's that what includes they includes the Obama the Obama administration who Obama administration who was actually expanded some of these of all deals. of the, of the last, you know, X number of presidencies was the one that was least openly tongue kissing the House of Saud. This this might be true, but towards I the mean, end of towards the end of the regime, there he was in fact he didn't out do anything in, useful. Why do you call American out administrations regimes? Why not? It's <laughs> fun. Seen his I like it. it uh, it's, he, was, he was out running in an interference for the Saudis. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, this matters. I mean, the, uh, the uh, there's uh, I'll, I'll bite off a little bit of the question, which is that 
This is two weeks now, right? You said October 2nd is when it began. Uh-huh. We're on the 16th when yeah. we're taping this. It's the lead uh, story on all three major terrestrial television networks tonight in the news. Uh, it is <laughs> this story. Yeah. Do you know how many times they have led with the Saudi war against Yemen, which is creating a famine and, and like using U.S. Currently a famine is munitions. developing. Yemen. Thousands of people dead. Yeah. Munitions blowing up kids and stuff like that. that purchased from the United States. Purchased from the United States has never led any uh, network newscast. They've mentioned it. Mm-hmm. I believe Mark Noller, who uh, tracks this stuff pretty well, great Twitter follow, says that it's been mentioned, I think, on network news six times. Don't forget actual U.S. troops side by side with Saudi troops there. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, also, the, the, because on, Just because to play there's... On, on that point, Matt, isn't it, isn't, can't a case be made that the world is a big and complicated place and you can feel however you want about various wars and it's very, very hard to predict what wars are good and what wars are bad in the heat of the moment and... Hindsight's twenty twenty, but the U.S. has blood on its hands because of Iraq as well, and bloody, 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 blah. Whereas you can draw a clean, crystal clear line in the sand about don't chop up people who dislike yes. your government and into here's, little pieces. Yeah. And here's, I mean, I think it, it affects people uh, emotionally. Remember in 2014, and we've kind of forgotten this, but there's a beginning of the 2013 when the, the Edward Snowden stuff first comes out, when it's the run-up to the Syrian war, but then there's a, a, a popular revulsion against it in England um, when they voted in the, in, the, in the parliament and also the United States. And Australia, mate. <laughs> That's not a country. Um, there was a there was a popular Western revulsion against the idea that we should again go go to war. You can say it was a bad idea or a good idea, but there was an interesting moment uh, moving away towards having a, a, a default interventionism and a default faith in U.S. led Josh Zepps in the glory days type of uh, of uh, a shining city on the hillism that happened in 2013. When did that stop? That stopped when ISIS started cutting people's heads off. That moment uh, right then, and I think it was at the end of 2014, well, when they started doing that, there was a, a study of, about um, how news stories penetrate. And the beheading by ISIS, I believe in 2014, of, uh, of James Foley. Of James Foley. Was it that recent, Foley? 95 percent of americans were aware of that it was 2014 more than more than they had been aware of any single news story uh since 9-11 basically uh and that changes because it it personalizes it right Mm. we react to emotional stories you're absolutely right um and the idea of a person who lives in virginia who falls in love who is like a a, a powerful intellectual who's who's, chopped up with a fucking bone saw exactly maybe for for trying to get a piece of but i i want to urge a little bit of caution on that um i've seen Mm -hmm. um some people i saw andrew carell um a guy that we all know here Mm -hmm. talking about what about the bone saw the bone saw like you know here's one Mm -hmm. tiny bit of caution do not trust the Turks yeah, with different. anything. I mean, especially when they're talking about the Saudis. Yeah, that's, especially when they're that's talking about the Johnny Saudis. Turkey to you? Yeah. yeah. There was, I mean, there was some is. dubious claims about his uh, Apple, Apple Watch, Watch and things to send like messages Everybody well. relax yeah. uh, a little bit. But one of the, I think one of the interesting things, and I think Josh's point is actually right. I mean, periodically you have to make an example of one particular thing because you can't do all the other things. So yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. But I think one of the bigger things is I was um, shot an interview today uh, this afternoon with a um, a very well-known Russia expert, a uh, Russian who's now um, here in the U.S., who can't go back to Russia. And I posed to her this, I, this idea that 
I would I would suggest to every other country in the world, if you have a, without, with the exception of the United States and maybe England and a few other Western European countries. If you, no, no, not real. Um, again, back check, not real, fake news. Uh, that if you have a dissident on your hands that has escaped, kill them, assassinate them. Nobody fucking cares. If you look at what what are you going to do, fine sir? I mean, look at what the what Russia is. And, and if and if you have any of these mouth breathing losers from the fringes of Libertarianville saying, "Oh, there's no evidence that the Skripals were who were killed with Novichok were were killed by Russians," it's like get your heads out of your ass. Well, who else is doing it? I don't RT, know. which is half the time stocked with like <laughs> fringy weirdo libertarians. Um, you know the the. Skripal's, um, uh, Litvinenko, uh, Anna Politskaya was shot. Other people all around the world. But that why are you killed saying it's with... consequence free, Michael? I mean, I it's think there's a lot of puffing ha- and puffing about. There's that. a lot of huffing and puffing, sanctions, etc. I don't want to even say that it's just the Russians. I mean, is, the Israelis have killed people and hit teams in hotels, and I think the UAE or Qatar. Or but not just the publishing things against the Israeli government. No, no, these people are actually really bad people, so it's slightly different. Hmm. But I mean, these are like you know bomb and makers for Hamas, and you killed them yourself. So I don't. <laughs> want to make some sort of moral equivalent there. But if you see... I was doing the right thing when I chopped them up with a bone saw. But it is essentially what Vladimir Putin has done um, so... It's not even expertly. It's sort of clumsily. He does it and they just leave a paper trail because they kind of want you to know that it's them. And they kind of go up to you when you're the enormous guy in the bar and you're this sort of little Lilliputian person and say, what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about the Saudis killing an American domiciled journalist in the, in their embassy in Turkey. Absolutely fuck all. And Donald Trump has basically well, said that. On. One, said, re- one reason is because they're providing Trump with, an, with uh, like all of the stuff that Camille was just saying, these, uh, you know, the, the Trump phone call to the Crown Prince, uh, where the Crown Prince flatly denied it. That is enough. Like, it's very hard to get a person to believe something when their paycheck depends on their not believing it. Mm. And to some extent, Donald Trump's uh, emotional and credibility paycheck depends on his relation, on his his fantastic deal making with the Saudis to be unblemished. Yeah. So now they've given him a, a way of being able to say, uh, look, they deny it. Who's to know what's right or wrong? Who's to know who's to, who to believe here? Like, Crown Prince is a very yeah, good guy. He's a true. great guy. He's got a big brain. He's great. Uh, so I'd, I'd be very surprised. But if they hadn't, if the Saudis weren't playing this the, as ex, as deftly as they are, because I think it's blown up in their face to an extent that they didn't realize it was going to. Yes, thought it absolutely. Would be under the radar more. Yeah. But if they continue to play this deft game of, of plausible deniability, then they'll probably get away with avoiding what otherwise I think would have been inevitable, which is some kind of action by Congress, including sanctions and maybe a blowing up of some of those those deals. So I don't, I don't think I don't, that, I don't. There's, really there's, no, there's no history. There's no history of the, of the U.S. ever publishing. Uh, punishing uh, the Saudis for doing anything sort of immoral Bandar, or bad. Fucking Bandar was in the White House on September, what was it? 12th or 13th 14th, or 14th. 14th. Yeah, yeah. In the White House. Yeah. 15 out of 19 hijackers had come from Saudi Arabia. They had been exporting Wahhabist ideology for financing it for a long time. Bandar is in the White House on a balcony smoking a cigar with his good friend George W. Bush after September 11th. I will never be able to process mm. that yeah. image. Well, can I, there's two things I want to bring up. One, Josh, you referred to the Saudi um, response to this as deft. And I, I don't know if that's quite right. It feels a little less than deft to me. It's maybe deft sig- signals implies somewhat skillful. Um, and they're certainly denying it pretty consistently. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll bet you it's going to prove deft enough. Well, perhaps. Yeah. Sufficiently, sufficiently yeah. deft. Um, but the, 
first thing you, you mentioned about Donald Trump being transactional, um, and I don't know if Donald Trump is the most transactional, um, but as you mentioned, he's at least pretty transparent about it. When he's asked about this in interviews several times, he has referred to this arms deal, um, which I don't know that any other president would do that. Um, but in other contexts, uh, I think it was last year, last summer, when he was uh, concerned about um oil prices. And he kept saying, you know, we provide security to the Middle East and you guys keep trying to raise the prices on us. We will remember we provide security to you. You're not supposed to say that sort of thing explicitly, but the president routinely does things like that. Although Richard Nixon and Jimmy Carter did uh, do the same thing, but I, I would push back slightly on this because okay. I mean I see your point. I think it's I think. It's, well, I'm not it, making a point. I think Josh asked the question. Yeah, I'm I'm pushing it back to the forefront. No, but I think it is a point to say that you know I, there are two things that Donald Trump can do here, and the, and and one is to go with the art of the deal, Donald Trump. Right? Just trust me. I'm behind the scenes making the greatest deal. The reason I'm calling. Kim Jong-un, my best friend, and, you know, a guy that we're going to go play. We fell, we fell in love. We fell in love. Like, we're lo- I'm fucking him. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> That's pretty much Sorry. If you you can't in the fuck car, him. He doesn't have an anus. <laughs> and, he's a god. Which is, which is amazing. He said, I'm fucking him. We're yeah. having a gay relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. And the Republican audience yeah. exploded they spl- with applause. With applause. They love and it. orgasm. They love it. So, so you can do that. Yeah. I'm doing... Real love. I'm doing the, <laughs> the thing that it's so amazing. I mean, the deals. You have no idea the deals going to be. I'm like, Jeff Green from 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 <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm. Can't believe it! These deals, the deals. So these things, these incredible deal making. So that's the one thing you can do, right? It's it doesn't come across well, I think, with 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 some people abroad. When you know the Saudis are like, yeah, yeah, no, it was a, it was a, you know seriously, it was a rogue team. This guy, yeah, Hassan, he's a little hot on the collar. And the next thing you know, Trump's like, okay, hold on a second, turns around and talks to a bank of cameras and just you know like is the stenographer for the Saudis. I mean, that's what it looks like to them. I don't know how they process it. I don't know how it's going on behind the scenes. The other thing you can do is the kind of Putinist way of doing it, which is to throw people up against the wall. Donald Trump would be better and I think more effective in being aggressive and saying like, you know, he's in, he's the sort of supplicant and saying, God, we really need those jobs. We can't, you know, he, this, this, this thing he did afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of money for us. We can't, the other way of doing that is turning it around to the Saudis and saying like, we provide you with a lot of stuff. You want to see that go away? Where are you going to get it from? Because we're going to put pressure on every single other country that could potentially supply weapons to you because we have a lot of power. Yeah, but the Saudis know that that's a bluff because they control the price of global oil. Well, well, look, it's a separate issue and one that's well, it's not a separate issue because no, no, it is. I mean, if they really get pissed at America, then they know that they have they hold the ultimate trump card, which is they can plunge us into a recession. It's well, I I think that's probably half true. less much less, less true, less true now than it's been been in absolutely. The, in the but yeah. what happened in the seventies? I mean, yeah. was, there were no, but there like, lines that was the know, only but a mile long that. for gas. They, I mean, we're we're exporting. You know, natural gas at this point. It's a, a much yeah. different oil is fungible. They can only we just invade that. Venezuela. And, and I mean, even, we get most of our oil from Canada. But I mean, I know even, you do. But you understand the, economics. You but even, sure. but even you know then, that the global price is set by the the you know the aggregate supply. But even but I, I think degree. interestingly with the global price, even then, it's certainly something that they could not do without injuring themselves. Oh, of course, yeah. it'd be yes. suicidal. But and they got nothing. But so was mutually assured destruction, and it, you know. It, and so is America's trade policy now, as yeah, we're as, this, as we're being tough. I think, towards I think China one, and destroying and hurting ourselves. To to uh, to channel uh, Camille a little bit for Uh-oh. a second. Um, I think a, a thing that is not being discussed 
a lot in this process is the extent to which the Trump administration specifically, and this is a departure from previous administrations, um, is has chosen um, Saudi Arabia or has chosen to back Saudi Arabia as being kind of the proxy of a Middle Eastern regional war. Mm-hmm. Um, they've chosen this. I mean, uh, I saw Steve Bannon speak uh, about three months ago uh, in Manhattan at a thing, and he was making that plain. The you know the orb Iran's the worst. The orb meeting take... Iran's the worst, but Turkey's yeah. the second worst. Yeah, right. Like yeah. you know, we yeah. we Turkey is bad. Sorry, by what yardstick are we saying worse? No, I'm just saying this is what the administration believes. Oh, I see. Right, it's so they're obsessed with Iran. They know that yes. they know that there's going to be regional wars. It, to their credit, they don't want American troops to be a significant part of those regional wars. But they're playing great game here, right? They're playing great game by proxy. It's more kind of Cold War esque more than 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 other things. And Saudi Arabia drives that process mm. very much. And so. That, I think, has more to do or I would suspect has more to do with uh, the reluctance by Trump to say anything mean because he's ideologically or strategically committed to Saudi Arabia and they've been playing deft diplomacy with America. That is that is chief to their that word again deft (laughs) Camille's going to jump down your throat. It's actually deft for the the last seven decades. They've been I mean, Bandar fucking Bush, as we used to call him back in the war blogging days, um, you know, he would walk around. He was the the uh, the ambassador to the United States. Is that a hand holding gesture that yeah, you're making there? He would. He, he didn't would, have the cameras. Remember, he would walk. <laughs> he would ins- insert himself into every single. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. Orifice. <laughs> no, he would. I'm a every of the metaphorical George W. Bush. <laughs> every corpus. arms for hostages deal, every sensitive like diplomatic negotiation where you needed a back channel, he would insert himself in there. <laughs> Stop uh, it, you man. people. Yeah. Yeah. The fuck is wrong yeah. with you? You did it you all. Just go, you should just go straight up. Like, at that point, when, like, when you're really just trying to fuck the Saudis. Right in the butt. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's anything I, wrong with that. I, 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 I have to apologize. Just to anybody who's listening to some kids, I'll just tell you what your kids are going to hear it anyway. Yeah, they're on the internet. Let me, let me just just to pull back a little bit before we leave this subject. I, I'm yeah. interested in. Oh God, oh God. Um, We've really entered the pathetic gutter now. So. Do you think? Sorry, he's the as, as the, the not as the non-American. I'm interested in hearing from you three Americans. Do you think that two and a half more like there should? What's I, the half? I'm an illegal immigrant. He's Jamaican. It's not true. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was born here. Uh, do you think that there should that there is and ought to be a human rights and democracy promotion component to America's dealings with other countries, or should it be America first, transactional, whatever works for us, without regard to whether or not we're fostering? higher values. Let me answer for the group. Uh, Moynihan says, fuck yeah. I say, fuck yeah with caveats. And Camille says, fuck no. I say, fuck yeah with caveats too. I would say, I would say this to your, to your previous point is, I, I think is right, is that when you have the opportunity to do so with, you know, without jeopardizing a lot, and I'm going to be as vague as I can possibly be mm. in this, is that, you know, everyone is really exercised about Donald Trump's reaction to the Saudis and the House of Saud. Uh, you know, we were kind of chuckling about I'm in love with Kim Jong-un and provided that Donald Trump can do something that previous pre- presidents haven't, uh, we will deal with and give concessions to people who are the most monstrous human rights abusers on earth. At least the Saudis can have an internet and escape if they mm. if they want. So I mean, there's a there's a certain amount of like you can't be consistent about these things. So it's always going to be somebody on the left or the right 
saying that so-and-so is inconsistent. I mean, you see this all the time. Is that, oh, you want to spread democracy here, but then you're allied with these people. You know, there's a, there's a me, kind of Kissinger-like realism about it. And but the, realism, it but, but the, the real politic has to be grounded in some kind of consistency in order to make any internal yeah, I mean, look, Jimmy Carter's and foreign the, policy was, was a human rights-focused foreign policy. And let me just, let me just explain why I'm putting this towards America yes and, no, and provide a, 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 an outsider's perspective. When you are a medium-sized country like Australia, you can care all of you all you want. What was that chuckle about, Matt? <laughs> medium. 20 million? That's medium? We're the, 25. We're the same size as the contiguous <laughs> United States, and we're one of the top 10 economies in the world. Okay, go on. Uh, <laughs> there's a sheet out in front of him. It's <laughs> <laughs> from the Australian embassy. <laughs> you're right. Population-wise, we, we would be... Size. No, but even, even yeah. then, I think but we're about the average. We're about the medium. You're a continent for... For fuck's sake, yeah, that's pretty yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> my point is we're not... Not too, a lot going not, on in that continent, by the way. We're not Tuvalu or Monaco. Uh, uh-huh. But when, so Australia has this conversation all the time with regard to China because we are the deputy sheriff of the Western world in the Asia-Pacific, <laughs> in, in Asia. And um, it, there is sure. such a power. And that's literally something that former Prime Minister John Howard said in terms of it was during the intervention in East Timor where Australia was the lead of the United Nations uh, peacekeeping uh, forces. And uh, wow. someone Can said, you do a quick John Howard impersonation as part of it. Oh, look, uh, for the three Australians who may be listening, uh, they will have, no, no, they, they, will, they, will, they will find this to be a tremendously uh, accurate uh, impersonation. Uh, <laughs> I used to do political by impersonations the, the, on the radio. Uh, 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 if, you, if you don't know, uh, John Howard is apparently the Wilford Brimley of Australia. It's a bit of, uh, it's, it's a bit, yeah, I can't believe it Jim, there. Uh, it's, yeah, no, we're going to the East Timor, right? Yeah. It's just Jimmy Stewart. Go, go ahead. Yeah, that's, yeah, Jimmy exactly. Stewart, yeah. That's right. There you go. Big white rabbit. Um, <laughs> but, so the, the 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 conundrum for the conundrum for powers that don't stand astride the 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 planet as a global colossus is that there's such a power imbalance that there's uh, Australia knows that there's nothing that we can do to China other than just meekly say, "Could you please be nicer to your people?" Yeah. Uh, and w- what and the indispensable nation is the United States still. So the reason why I think it's worth the reason why it's incumbent on Americans as voters to try to figure out what they think about this is because without America, everybody else is just pissing into the wind. The thing that I want to highlight quickly, because Matt almost correctly characterized my perspective on this, um, uh, democracy promotion abroad, I'm certainly less bullish on um, for for technical reasons. I I don't know that when we talk about democracy, I mean the same thing that other people do. uh, And I don't know that we gain a great deal from just promoting democracy per se. Um, on the other hand, the notion of promoting... You mean human... because sometimes people are stupid and vote for bad parties? Well... Like Islamists or something? Mostly because just the mechanism for choosing a government isn't nearly as important to me as the yes. actual right. the out- outcomes sure. in general. So just to specifically name it. Um, and I, I don't know that romanticizing the mechanism for true, true, for choosing governments... But green fingers. Feels yeah. like a lot of green fingers. done. Yeah, I, I think there's something wrong with that. It, it, it sort of distorts the, distorts the things that are actually valuable... Um, and gives us the sensibility that we are prizing the right things, despite the fact that we are totally abandoning the sort of actual liberal principles that have made our societies great. And speaking of those liberal principles, like human rights in the most fundamental sense, the right to life and liberty and property in the Lockean sense, um, I certainly think that a rhetorical defense of those things from the United States is something that could be valuable and is worthwhile. But I am not at all sure 
that it is better for the United States to sort of lead from a, a trade standpoint in terms of sanctions and embargoes and various other sort of punitive threats that they might issue to bad actors versus actual trade and intercourse and individual citizens and corporate actors having a role and playing an active role in engaging with other parts of the world and sharing our values in that way, I think that we gain far more from trading with China than we would from uh, just having sort of a, a, a U.S. government that was opposed to the Chinese government because of their various sure. myriad extensive and, and human you, rights and violations. And you, you need to be in, you need to actually be engaged with other people sure. in order to have any influence over them even, whatsoever. Even I mean, look Google at the Cuban with the, embargo. Sure, know, yeah. Uh, and even example. Google with their new Dragonfly project, which is this extensively censored um, uh, search engine, which may in fact also have the capacity to enable the Chinese government to do pretty scary um, questionable surveillance. There is an internal conversation that is happening at Google where most of the employees there who have learned about this program are deeply concerned about it. And I think that is actually precisely the sort of dynamic that you want. The people but at that Google is the dynamic that I'm that I'm talking on. that I'm advocating essentially, which is that we do trade with Saudi Arabia uh-huh. in spite of the fact that it's one of the most noxious and abysmal regimes in the I, entire world. I think it's a little and different we have, when we're selling them when we're selling them arms and we're involved in their their military. Well, that's what I mean. So 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 then yeah. the lever is that we actually pull back those sales. In general, I'd say that. So we I'm don't saying would, entangle and entangle. I'm but saying are you saying a, are you saying that we shouldn't impose, for example, arms sanctions on the Saudis as a result of their? I I think there's a difference between I think there's a difference between government policy with respect to limiting trade from a, a company or individuals and a government policy that is selling weapons of war to various countries and participating in those conflicts in different ways. Those are businesses too. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they, they are in are, fact businesses. private companies. They are in fact businesses, arms. but it's a matter of foreign policy with respect to with respect to whether or not we're getting involved in particular conflicts. In here's here's one. Uh, so in general, I am interested in withdrawing from as many of those entanglements as possible. If I run a small business, should I be allowed to build a tank and sell it to the Saudi government? <sighs> That's hard. Right. It's hard. Uh-huh. I was uh, earlier uh, this week on the Reason podcast, which I uh, uh, sort of uh, point, am the point guard on. I posed the question of, you know, maybe should the government, should we uh, have restrictions on our private capitalists who want to sell them? To, and there was The room was divided. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Catherine Mangawards uh, argument was like, no, free it all up. Um, there will be uh, punishments uh, uh, that will be, uh, enacted in the marketplace of ideas. If people are seen, American companies are seen to be, uh, collaborating with the bad guys. I'm not so sure about that. That's, I do want to, <laughs> I mean, come on, if you're, if you're selling mortar rounds, like, yeah, I'm not going to buy my mortar rounds from them. Yeah. No one cares. Uh, <laughs> social, but, social, but social but I want to be useful. I want to, I, I want a lot of people don't want to, <laughs> not, not if you're, you know, selling, you know, bombs. A lot of people don't want to live next to the arm deal, arms I, dealer. I want to declare hard for you to get my, your kid into the good school and everything. My long-term goal in life about foreign policy, (laughs) my long-term goal is to marry Camille to Michael Moynihan. Huh. No, uh, I, I, in, I am in, more in, in the side. Like I, I'm totally done with democracy promotion. In, in this sense. Way. But in this sense, because, yeah. because uh, I feel like, I don't want to say especially under Reagan, I think Carter was part of this too, but um, there was a time when we were 
more rhetorically filling the Josh uh, Zepsian ideal of of uh, even if we don't do a damn thing, we are expressing our sympathy for people who are fighting against tyranny. Mm-hmm. The problem is that now, for very good reason, <clears throat> the Camille faction can say every time we express sympathy for someone who's fighting against tyranny, what's next? Sanctions are next. After sanctions, red line in the sand is next. It may be about weapons of mass destruction. And before you know it, they cross that red line. We have to go in there and, you know, go the next step. Totally aided and abetted at every single uh, point by America's journalistic class, very much so. Uh, And that is a uh, pathology that we need to unwind. Mm -hmm. That is a a habit of mind that is sick and wrong, that assumes not just like American, you know, leading, but like a a primacy that we are, you know, we are policing everything. That, I think, is a wrong thing. We have to step back from that. I understand the chameleon uh, reluctance because we haven't. Chameleon. Chameleon. Because we haven't developed a new vocabulary or set of tools behind that. However, I lament that we can't in just a normal conversation or we don't as much in the same way in our democratic manners talk shit about Saudi Arabia every fucking day of the fucking week of the last fucking seven fucking decades because they fucking suck. They always have fucking sucked. Mm -hmm. They shower tens of millions of dollars on every single fucking U.S. presidential library Mm -hmm. here because that's the way they can go around campaign (laughs) finance laws. They make sure that every single fucking U.S. ambassador does not speak a fucking word of Mm. Arabic. Not even one, well, not even fucking mm, one, and yeah. we like pretend, language. Pretend <laughs> that we care about that. <laughs> fuck them forever, um, but we should mm. be able to say fuck them forever without the next fucking question being when are you going to bomb them? Yeah. Uh, also, also keep in mind uh, that quickly that that the Saudis. Um, fund the most extreme Wahhabist. Yes, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly where I was going. Th- throughout Europe, let, let mean, me just add let me just yeah. add two data points here. So Australia's closest neighbors are in Australia's closest big neighbor is Indonesia. Indonesia. And I was say New Zealand's pretty close. Fuck, no, New Zealand's a lot further away. But, but is it, that right? It, trivia point. Yes. Trivia point. Guess what the closest country to Australia is. Hmm? Antarctica or some shit. <laughs> not, a, not a country. I, it's not New Zealand. Uh, what is it? No, no, it's Papua New Guinea. Really? Uh, followed by Indonesia. That's what? Yep. Uh, anyway, I used to, you know, backpack around Indonesia when I was in my in high school and uh, and and university. And back then, it's the largest Muslim country in the world yep. uh, by population. And uh, back then, it was it had a very kind of moderate, kind of free and easy, easygoing, fairly feminist kind of attitude towards Islam. And I went back there not too long ago, and uh, people are wearing veils, and there are you hear Arabic being spoken instead of Bahasa Indonesia, which they which is their native tongue, and this is all because of Saudi money going, being poured into madrasas all over the place. Now, what do you think that they're teaching people in those madrasas? What version of Islam is it? The peaceful, tolerant, uh, you know, lovey dovey kind of Islam that Indonesia has had for uh, since time immemorial, or is it is it a kind of Arabic Wahhabi? Arabist, uh, Salafist uh, extremism. That's one point. And then the other point that I would just make is that um, going back to this kind of long arc of American moral hypocrisy about about human rights and democracy, in the 90s, I think you people brought, people in the Western world broadly bought the story of America. And you would have to imagine you're in a mosque in somewhere in the Middle East or in, in North Africa, and 
and people are, people would have to make quite an articulate and elaborate argument against the story of America. They'd have to say, well, America claims to be in favour of human rights and democracy, but but when you actually look into it, the CIA has been doing this nefarious stuff for quite a long time. So let me tell you about what they did and about let's talk about the Bay of Pigs and let's talk about all these different things. And they would have to construct an artifice in order to convince people of the hypocrisy of uh, American rhetoric. After the Iraq War, it became quite easy for people everywhere to see through what they regarded as a tissue of hypocrisy in America. And what Trump has done is, I think, just put it right out on the table like a gigantic prime rib, <laughs> saying, and, and now, it, you know, you don't have to be at a, in a mosque in North Africa. You can just be at a, at a on a college campus in Australia or really just anywhere in the world, and you can see that all of this lofty talk about human rights and human dignity is is just a, a tissue of fabrications to cover up self-interest because Trump is perfectly happy with, with, with that framing of the American problem. Yeah, you know, I'll make a final point on this before we move on, but I, I think that that's exactly right. And, you know, you remember in the 1990s, those of us who were in college at the time, and the number of people like shoving Noam Chomsky books in your hand, like this is the revealed truth. You know nothing about Arbenas and you know nothing about Allende. And you're about to find out and it's going to blow your mind. Whereas the Iraq stuff is out there for all to see. And people say, oh, God, that didn't work out very well. Maybe we should stop meddling in other people's affairs. Though I think one of the big changes is, and there's exceptions to this. And I mean, this is the argument that I think you'd see reflected in opinion polls quite a bit, is that in America. Americans used to be quite um, willing to support foreign entanglements and an American foreign policy that kind of spidered across the globe, provided that the enemy was somebody who had who posed an existential threat to our way of life. Is that, is and that, does that code that, for Brown? Yes, of course. Good. And that doesn't mean that, you know, so, you know something's going to pop up here. I mean, keep in mind that, you know, the, the 1950s, you have the f second Red Scare. The first one is, you know, in the 1919, 1920, the Palmer Raids and things like that. And blowing things up, people from, you know, the caucuses and people from Bosnia and the Austro-Hungarian Empire say, you know, blowing. There was a car bomb in what, I guess it was 1919, I think, down at Hawk, Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, that you can still see the... Hawk marks are there. Hawk marks are right down the street. Blew up a, a wagon. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the Soviets had, had you know, the common... I love, that, I love that they were just wagons. Wagons, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wall yeah. Su suicide wagon. Um, <laughs> that's the name of my band, Suicide Wagon. Although, I think Pretty they good. left. Yeah. They, they, only the horses died. Only the horses only died. Only willing to sacrifice um, the horses. And, and Wall Street, it took... It took uh, Puerto Rican terrorists to kill people down there. That was the next time um, before Al Qaeda got to it. But so, I mean, you have the common turn. Al Qaeda Soviet got Union. to the financial district? Nope. <laughs> nope. The American government did. Inside job. Um, <laughs> but you have the common turn in the Communist International, which is the express goal of the Soviet Union is to spread communism all throughout the world. The world was going our way, as they said in the 70s, from, you know, South Yemen, we're talking about Yemen, used to be a Soviet client state. They used to be divided in half. And then g going further, the Nazism, you remember these uh, Why We Fight films, the Frank Haperbed? You'd always remember the same thing. It'd start in Germany, and they would have a swastika on it. It would bleed out to the map, and it would go into Russia, and it was like, that. they're expansionist. And the Japanese are bombing us in Hawaii. It's, they're, they're hitting the mainland. You, you know that they did do that, right? Oh, yeah, no, I <laughs> the know. Nazis 
things did do that. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it was. It's very effective when you show it in a map. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you show it bleeding out, it's like an ink blot, right? No, it's in the existential yeah. threat. Yeah. and it's, 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 it was it's clear to people at that never point. Colored blue, it's no, always colored red. But it, that we don't have it with Saudis, for instance. You're like, all right, those guys are assholes in their own country, and they bomb Yemen. Uh, what's it to me? Occasionally, I wanna, a trade center goes down. I actually, yeah, well, of co- of course, but uh, you know what happened to your point about Bandar in the days after that, with the Saudis invoked beyond the third, fourth paragraph in a news article and said, oh, by the way, Mohammed Atta and all these guys, uh, 15 of the 19 were actually from Saudi Arabia. No, there was no significant a- attempt to target, either intellectually target, make them responsible, or you know, it was Afghanistan, ultimately Iraq. And that kind of was like, nah, I don't think so anymore after that. I mean, remember, we all thought that there was going to be cascading terrorist attacks in the days after huh. 9-11. I remember years, years after. Years after. I remember the terror of getting on the subway in New York City on, the, on you know, in October of, of 2000. I remember in- the, going, Didn't happen, and that felt less ex- existential to us. The Democratic Convention of 2004 was the last time that I think that I felt the like the the, the fear, but the fear was there for three oh, yeah. years. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there was a loud- uh, uh, after July of 2005, you didn't start feeling it again when the London bombings, yeah, the, the, the tube bombings happened? And no. Yeah, I don't, I mean, living downtown. Matt doesn't care about Living it, downtown and seeing uh, the Trade Center Memorial on like a, and the Madrid daily, on an yeah. almost daily basis. I, I'd have to say that I was constantly thinking about that sort of stuff. Well, I, I, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm a particularly just, sort it's of not that interesting, but I, I separated in my mind uh, Britain from the United States or yeah. like Europe from the United States. Cause I mean, my, my wife is French as we all know. And like it happens in France, France all the damn time. It, thankfully it hasn't yeah. happened for like 18 or 24 months, but uh, not in well, a significant way. Well, I, I'm, I'm interested in this conversation and I actually have a, a perhaps a subtle point of disagreement, maybe a refinement. I'm not so sure, but I also want to talk about a different sort of existential threat. Um, uh, that being the proud boys <laughs> and Antifa. Yeah. Um, and there were sort of these, dueling street demonstrations that turned into brawls happening on both coasts of the United States. Um, One in Seattle, or perhaps it was Portland. Portland. I've been saying to Anthony Fisher over and over again that it is exactly the same place. I make no distinction between the two at all. Tomato, apple, both vegetables. So racist. I mean, fruit. Doesn't really matter. Olympia and Portland are the same place. Whatever. Seattle and Portland. Um, But there... There in Portland, there was um, a, an actual Antifa extra legal street blockade, which also involved cursing and swearing at drivers who were coming by, um, telling them off for their awful whiteness, um, you, and in some you... cases, chasing them down the street, smashing their windshields. Oh, oh. can I? We'll shut the fuck up. So let's go, trip, dumb bitch. It's just because I told you to. Really? Don't hurt yeah, me. Brother. Just go, yeah, brother. Yeah, you little white little go. fucker. And of course, your favorite Radio thing in that is the white guy. Really? Yeah. You're a fucking whitey, whitey, aren't you? The First Amendment. Get the fuck down the road. Please just keep going the direction. Just please turn right please for Christ's sake. Have you looked in the mirror there, yeah. buddy? I'd like you to keep driving as a white guy. Uh, can I? Can yeah. I just go through? Um, which is actually, and I mean, I constantly the rejoinder to most people coming by was, "I will beat your." F- I'll beat the shit out of you. I'll beat the shit out of you with him. Fuck you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. Slow down. Come on, slow down. 
no reason to lucky to hit me. I ought to beat your ass. None of those guys individually would beat anyone's ass, by the way. I don't I don't just, think so. Just so yeah. you know. But yeah. but what's interesting about this brittle vegan bone in Portland <laughs> is we this happened last week. It actually happened before we recorded. Yeah. But there were very few national news stories about this that were not in some sort of conservative publication. Yeah. And those kind of trickled out. Um, I think had this involved people in red hats saying MAGA, it might have been a bigger story. And I don't know that it's so controversial to say so. Um, in fact, we had something that happened the end of the same week. So that was what, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, and by the end of the same week on Saturday, Gavin McGinnis, um, someone who some of us know, I don't know if you know him. Yeah, Josh. I mean, okay. I mean, we don't hang out and have yeah, beers, but we've you know, crossed paths. You've met him. So we live in New York. It was Friday. It was Friday then. Okay. So Friday, uh, Gavin was speaking at an event here in New York City um, to a, a group of young men, uh, an organization that he is the founder of, something called the Proud Boys, um, which it is hard to really disentangle exactly what Proud Boys are. Um, according no to some no people, um, the Proud Boys is a white supremacist organization. Um, and there was a, a brawl that took place after this event. Uh, and there is video of this brawl. And it's kind of hard to make out exactly what's happening in the video. But there is a fight that takes place. Seems like some Proud Boy guys beat the snot out of some kids. Some kicking occurred that while they were on the ground. There were also in Portland, actually, on... Saturday night, there was a, a flash protest, which was in response to what they saw as the non-police response to the to the blockades that were set up by Antifa. Um, and there were some more um, uh, altercations that took place there. Um, the response to those two events is what I think is interest is one of the things that I think is very interesting. The official response um, in Portland, um, you have. <laughs> Uh, you have the mayor of Portland saying that he stands by the police's decision to stand down and effectively not get involved. No arrests were made, despite the fact that there's, you know, abundant video <laughs> of a these melee. events happening. Yeah. They Why were, even again, have police? Zero <laughs> permits whatsoever and are in the street stopping traffic. Oh, now you love permits. Down. Wow. Some libertarian. No, no, are. listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not. This is them. This is your enforcement of the law, right? <laughs> yeah. um, at a minimum, chasing people down on the street and smashing their windows. Yeah, that's. That's a violation and then of doxing the old Camille guy for, like ta for taking a right. That is, right. The, he took a right. They doxed him on. Yeah. on you know, like they, they said this is his name. He was like seventy-two. In, in New York, on the other hand, um, a lot of officials have come forward. There have been arrests made, and they want more arrests. Um, and wait a second, let me just hit statements. off the false equivalence uh, donkey at the. <laughs> before oh, give me the give me the false give me the false equivalence. I, I That's one of my favorite Australian sayings. I hadn't even false equivalence donkey. Unfortunately, I just pulled it out of my ass. I haven't even gotten to the false equivalence. Um, I was just trying to say. Hang on a second. Thirty uh, white supremacists uh -huh. uh, confronted apparently three uh, people on the street. One of whom you're talking about the New York event. The New York event. Yeah, yeah. And then pounded one of them like thirty people against three, smashing, smashing him and punching him, and saying, "You like that faggot? You like that? You like that? You want to take that?" I mean, that was a beating. That was a, a mob beating. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you have. I can't believe that I'm on the other side of this because I've previously well, been well, anti we the Antifa protests. Yeah. But on the other hand, you have essentially street protests, mm -hmm. which are ostensibly nonviolent, trying to be nonviolent, and sometimes things have gotten out of hand. It was 50-50 in Portland. It was super violent, but it was about 50-50 as far as I can tell. What do you mean super violent? Who was badly hurt? I mean, like 
the, there, yeah, there were just, altercations on the Saturday. video I've seen from Portland, from Portland. was like, yeah, well, I think you're, like, I, wait, hold on. I think you're two, talking about two different, two different things. There is the Patriot prayer, the Patriot prayer yeah. thing. In Portland. No, no, no. Sorry. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Antifa in Portland yeah. who well, were redirecting traffic. Antifa, right. And when, and when the cars tried to go through, correct, they correct, then like correct. chased after the cars. Right. It's just nasty stuff. But I don't think there's any way that you can say that the media's disparate response to, well, there was the, no... to Antifa in Portland versus the, the power. Well, let me, let me, let me try to, let me try to. Power bottoms. What are they so, <laughs> let me, so, since you, yeah, since you introduce this, let me at least introduce a little bit of tension here because I think there's there's two things oh, that I think are, are interesting. The first proposition here is that if, in fact, it had been MAGA people who were stopping traffic in Portland or Agreed. perhaps in any completely. other state yes. in the union, because Portland is a, is, a, is a different sort of place than, say, someplace in Mississippi. Um, but if they were stopping traffic and harassing passersby, there, this would be a national news story. Well, uh, but, not only that, but I'll also double down and agree with you that the, the, the police response would have been different because sure. I think that there's, there's more tolerance for a police response against uh, white supremacists than there is against Antifa. Right. And and I won't necessarily characterize the Proud Boys as white supremacists, and I don't know that you are either. But I thought you just did. Kind of was. Well, no. Someone has, has said that. They've been described as, as Proud I Boys. I think one of the people they're looking for to arrest is black, actually. A, a Proud Boys. Um, the photos yeah, that actually, I've seen. There was the an, Asian, that there was an yeah. Asian person yeah. on the person I've doing the, the... But they were doing the white supremacist OK hand in, signal. An OK oh, hand no, signal means all right, and alt right and alt right sound similar. So I don't know that it's white supremacist. It's certainly been described that way in the media. But this is the thing. There's a great deal of sloppiness when it comes to reporting about these things. And I think the event on Friday, um, when I looked at it, there are a couple of things about it that seem really bizarre to me. I mean, the first is that there is a massive Antifa counter demonstration to this event that's taking place in the building. And the protesters are outside of the building screaming, kill more Nazis. The Nazis that they are referring to are the people that are inside of the And I think they broke windows and damaged the place before the thing began. Yeah, so this is... Again, it's a situation where you have a beatdown. But I'm just saying that... I mean, I think the bigger issue here is the one that we get... Uh, we get so into the weeds of who started what and I who's shouting right. what. That the bigger issue is all of these people are huge fucking losers. Okay, yeah. this is a this is a serious point here. I'm with if you. you are joining Patriot Prayer, Technical okay, term. whatever the fuck that is. If you are joining Antifa, if you are becoming a proud boy, you need another hobby. <laughs> if you're going to fight in the streets like the Jets and the Sharks, or think you're in the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, <laughs> you know, at least ISIS was like, you know what, I'm getting the fuck out of here, go to Syria and getting a gun. And I'm going to die. Although if this, there was all, snapping this, and knives, this, that would these be people are LARPing. This is role. <laughs> this is political LARPing, and we don't need them. They're a waste of time. They're a waste of our energy. Mm-hmm. Who started what doesn't detract from the fact that if you are out there doing this, get a fucking life, get a fucking hobby, learn how to write an, a persuasive article about your position, because these knuckle dragging apes that are out there and like, oh, you know, all beating people down and calling them fags and everything. You know, I don't know if this is your political ideology, you should be in Berlin with a time machine. Hang on. Here's what they say. You write a fucking persuasive article. You are feet. Yes, exactly. What, who the fuck cares about yes. a, a persuasive article? You know how change more, gets more made people, more by pe- people on the yeah. street fighting yeah. for what's yeah. right. Okay, boot boys <laughs> uh, of these of these guys. They used to say that in, in England in the days of the National Front, all of whom are now either on the dole or in prison, and no one no one remembers them. This is the thing: is that they think that they you know in their world where there's a hundred of them, they think they're in the middle of a movement. But when the camera pans out, nobody cares about you. 
right? I don't think that writing a persuasive article is going to do anything, but it will do a hell of a lot more and it's a hell of a lot more constructive than sitting with your head hanged in shame in front of a judge waiting to get community service or spend six months in the clink. I don't know what the point of any of this stuff is. And we're so far gone of like, they're, they're, you know, it is annoying when I hear, you know, NPR saying they're referring to them as anti-fascists. I mean, I don't know if I would give them the name they want to be given because the Proud Boys don't want to be called white nationalists mm. and we call them white nationalists. That's right. You know, I, 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 it makes it, it sound it, like... It's like calling ISIS Daesh, which they hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't give them the satisfaction of calling them yeah, Islamic yeah. State. I say uh, like the caliphate, the guys from the caliphate, yeah. local caliphate. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that that is frustrating to me to see. And yeah, and I think you're, 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 you're right, uh, Camille, in the sense is an enormous amount of sloppy reporting about this stuff because I think that that you know we, we I think we've talked about this before is that when words have meanings for a reason and they're powerful for a reason and if we start calling people when you that photo of these guys out in front that the Antifa people were were, were circulating there was it was an ethnically the Benetton, ad. Benetton ad yeah there's like an Asian guy in the corner a couple of guys are Indian it's a black dude and, and a black suit dude and, and yeah and then two black dudes in the front and it's like they're not white nationalists okay they're a lot of things and you can figure out what those are I'm not sure because I don't pay attention to them because I have a fucking <laughs> life but it, you know if you are to pay attention to these people the Western why, chauvinists why, Western yes chauvinists. I think that that's what they call themselves that's precisely what they and I think that's probably what they are. You know, in, wait, I, so, I think, so uh, can I just get back to the question of sure. on, uh, of the ability of people who are liberals, smaller liberals, in the uh, you know non-American sense of the word, yeah, uh, to criticize the left? So I got into huge trouble on Twitter because I retweeted something, uh, some video of that uh, of that Portland event where Antifa were smashing <coughs> cars and redirecting traffic, and I said, and I just tweeted it. I retweeted it, and I just said, "How the left wins friends." and everyone went batshit crazy uh, and said that i was an apologist for so actually let me just read you this because this is the best articulation and i think it's mean tweets yeah yeah exactly (laughs) this happens to be mean tweet this this is a twitter thread from a uh, a not unsuccessful uh media producer Hmm. Who I don't need to name because if you really Very care, you can, go, you can go on to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is he Australian? Uh, no, he's American. Okay. Uh, lives in New York. Uh, he said, taking over streets from drivers is a repurposing of public shared space oh, that God. is both historically <laughs> and practically effective. Oh, my God. This focus on like fucking Oberlin student politics and the tiny number of Antifa folk at this time is really disgusting, honestly. The vast majority of the left is neither on college campuses debating safe spaces nor Antifa, and neither of those groups is a direct and real threat to democracy. That'd be the fascist-interested Republican Party, Uh, who seems to escape your excoriation with worrying regularity these days, Josh. Josh. Every right, the right of women's suffrage, LGBTQ rights, the rights of minorities, was fought for and won with a combination of street tactics and voting. All of them. Learn some damned history. Let me ask Quote, him, yeah. I support these <laughs> Negroes. They, uh, I suppose these Negroes think they're morally righteous, unquote. And then in brackets, vomits on self. And then he says, honestly, Josh, if you think being a Div 3 Glenn Greenwald 
Is that an American uh, sporting division, reference? Division yeah. three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you think being a division three Glenn Greenwald, I don't know if that was super Australian or super gay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm plenty of both. You're both. So. Uh, div three. Honestly, Josh, if you're being a div three Glenn Greenwald is what the world needs right now. The alt right is calling, and they could use another mouthpiece. Oh, Make a oh, choice. Oh, come on. Make a choice. Choose yeah. a side. Your alleged neutrality does wonders for the powers that be. You've I'm, never alleged neutrality. I'm Looking at his Twitter profile, and he is a loser. So, but hang on. Stop. So, let me just address this. I think there are sort of three claims being made by people who defend Antifa uh, in these kinds of protests. One is uh, there is a long history of civil disobedience that involved uh, street protests, and they led to great things in this important things in the civil rights movement, uh, and therefore. Every street protest now is also an invaluable part of uh, the civil rights. <laughs> I'm getting distracted because Camille is looking <laughs> the guy up and now showing photos. Can you just listen? He to looks like, he looks like a thin show. Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hang on. Let me That's let me let me take worse. it again. Can I take it again and can yes, you listen? Yes, yes, I, yeah. Although this is kind of. I'm going to take so, out the thin so, Harvey Weinstein. No, fuck no, that. Put it in there. That's He's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> You're screwing Shut up. Stop. The cold open Stop. is going to be you saying that he's thin. Josh is screwing his eyes. Yeah, I'm like, shut I, I gotta, so I gotta like. Not, I'm gotta, sorry, Josh. Yep. Chaos. Um, so I think there are three claims that are being made by people who defend Antifa here. One is that um, historically, aggressive street protests have always been part of the civil rights movement. Therefore, any aggressive street protest is part of the legacy of the great civil rights movements. Uh, another is nope. People who have uh, disdained uh, violent street protests in the past have tended to be reactionary powers that be types. Therefore, anyone who objects to a violent street protest now is a reactionary power that be Or at type. least like the per- people who are being addressed in uh, Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail. Like they're, they're yes, not, exactly. they were right. not fast enough to want justice. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. And then uh, and then thirdly, that now is not the time to equivocate. Now is not the time for reason and intellectualism mm-hmm. and effete tweets that try to pass, uh, you know, specifically what people were doing and when. Now is the time to, to man the battle stations and choose sides. And if and, you don't choose resist, a side... Josh. And resist. And if you want to do... If you want to know one thing that is going to get me completely pissed off... Is it's he, telling me to choose a fucking side. His mm. face is getting like red. Choose mm. a side. What are you? What the hell are you talking about? I am an individual human being capable of independent intellectual thought, and I can say that what Antifa is doing is wrong. So you're saying you're and choosing what the them. white supremacists are doing is wrong, and I'm yeah. choosing me. Yeah, I'm choosing me. Yeah, my own intellect to be able to say. It, it sort of depends to me what you think the greatest threat is in America at the moment. Is the greatest threat that we're going to become Germany in the 1930s? Or is the greatest threat that we're going to become the Balkans in the 1990s? I think, and I think it's the latter. I think, I think there's more and, than and, two and, choices. And so all, well, I mean, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, and I'll... I'm gonna let you speak. I'm gonna let you speak. Uh, <laughs> is that, that was a Kanye. Is that was that, Kanye. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, let, let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, my point would simply be that that uh, the, this idea that you have to pick sides and that that uh, you have to man the battle stations and the only way to be a good person is to ignore the excesses of your own side rather than what I think, which is each side has an obligation to sort of police its own. And when I attack Antifa online, it's because I want the left to be good. I want the left to win. 
I am of the left. I want Donald Trump to fail. And I think Donald Trump succeeds when we on the left fail to rein in the extremes on our side, because I, I think Antifa only plays into uh, a narrative that Donald Trump's supporters like. Matt Welsh. Yeah. The only thing I was going to add to that is that uh, the third option for me is that in the, the immortal words of Johnny Rotten, we're just another country. And I think that's actually what's happening. Uh, you know, it's there's not going to be a cataclysm. There's not going to be this cleansing fire of whatever the fuck people are imagining there where they're sunken chests having stupid slap fights in the streets of a couple of blue cities. Uh, it's just that <laughs> we matter less. We uh, we are less interesting. We have less vibrant commerce that if you want to go where the action is, it's no longer here. Um, we are in the process um, some of that process is long overdue. Some of it is a shame. It's a combination of losing the empire in the same way that, that the UK was in, in 1975. I, I just these people drive me crazy because I don't believe that Antifa is an existential threat or even a serious threat. I think they're morons and I think they're kids and I think... No, but I believe they're an existential threat insofar as they can provoke the right to become an existential threat. I mean, that's that's true. But on their own, I don't think they have numbers that should concern anyone. That doesn't mean they're not dangerous. I mean, I think the same is true of the neo-Nazi right, and somebody died in Charlottesville. I don't think, I mean, there were 200 plus people there. Everybody knows Charlottesville. There's rallies there to commemorate Charlottesville. It took one psychopath to kill somebody. There were foreigners that came, foreign Nazis that came to pad those numbers. They couldn't even get 200 American Nazis. There were Swedes there, there were Germans, there were other people. Um, And I don't believe that Richard Spencer um, represents anything. In the same way that I don't think anybody from Antifa with with their subcommandante Marcos mask on, thinking they're the, you know, the Zapatistas of the new era, that they represent much of anything either. So to to his point, you know, there that that series of tweets directed at you, I couldn't I was trying to get through this thicket of straw men to get to the actual argument. And it's like, you know, tell me what side you're on always is a little too redolent of, to me of of uh, East, East Germany. There was a band called October Club, and they had a song called Sag mir, wo du stehst. Tell me where you stand, comrade. Like, what side are you on? And that kind of thing Well, is, to me, it's just George W. Bush. You're either with us or against exa- us. There's no, uh, there's and, no opportunity and, 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 to... More of a whip, whip hand in East Germany. And by the way, and, and to talk about people who were excoriated for saying that, and rightfully so, it was George W. Bush. And I would search his timeline to see what he says about Richard Spencer. I mean, are you inflating the threat of Richard Spencer to the Therefore, you know, impute and imply that the, that America is now run by fascists and we're on the precipice of a fascist moment. I haven't seen this guy's Twitter feed, but it seemed to me what Camille showed his computer here, a pinned tweet that that was suggesting that we are trundling down the path towards fascism. Anybody, yeah, I don't want to shit that, on this guy. I think that no, is a common, should, I, think that is, I think that is a widespread view on the left. It is, and it's a, it's it, it's oh. wrong. It's also a widespread view in the right that it's it's easy pickings to get people all exercised by posting videos. But Antifa, I think you should post those videos, especially when the police are not responding. And that well, also, pick- especially when all of my Twitter followers already know what I think about Donald Trump and about fascists. You know, yeah, but like- you're either all in or you're out. I mean, it's the George W. Bush thing again. But you know, it, it, it's it's frustrating 
endlessly frustrating to me that this binary that's presented to us all the time, that I am reluctant to, to say anything in any context at work or on Twitter about Antifa because I think they're dickheads and I think they're morons. But I don't believe them to be this massive threat that we should all be fretting about. And, you know, Fox News that is Fox News is expert at this stuff because they did the same thing with the new Black Panthers, of which there were seven, you know, <laughs> and like there, there are probably more like dying old Black Panthers in like an Oakland retirement home than there were of these guys. Mm. And they're probably more dangerous than these guys, too. So that went on, you know, ad infinitum. You know, and it's frustrating to to see this stuff because we need these these evil people on either side to make this argument, which is precisely why at the beginning I say, look, these guys are morons, they're losers, and that's the first thing to, to to point out about them. And the people that engage in these debates are a particular type of people on the left and on the right. They're the types of people that aren't smart enough to engage in serious debate about serious issues. You can get this straw man, this evil force. You're like, look at their breaking shit. Aren't they bad? Yes, they are. Everyone cheers. Everyone gathers around. And everyone. Treats you. I don't think that, I mean, talking about, like, you know, the, the fascism thing. Uh, Camille and I were talking about this on text. I think Matt was on this chain too, about somebody who's written a book, another academic. We had Timothy Snyder on the show, um, which we were very nice to him because we had a very short period of time. We were letting him, him talk. Um, I think this other guy we'd like to have on the show too. And I was reading his book about, about how America is becoming a fascist state, not very different than Naomi. Wolf's book that came out in 2007 saying we were a fascist state under George W. Bush. Mysteriously, we had Barack Obama who, you know, like, you know, like the, the, the 12 years of the Third Reich, there was that little interregnum where, where there, was, there was a black guy that ran the country and then they got, then it just disappeared. It became fascist again. But the problem with all of these people when they're not smart enough to make these arguments and they're not smart enough to defend these arguments. So they, they, they go back to their corners and they say, we're anti-fascist, right? We're not people that know anything about fascism, literally nothing about fascism. Do they know the difference between Salazar, who is often, you know, in Portugal, often called a fascist, Franco, Catholic supremacist, he's a fascist, Mussolini and Hitler, all very, very different beasts. What is fascism? There are people that have debated this well, now for Donald 70, Trump's 80, 90 years of what definitionally fascism is. It is, of course, and this is a boring and tedious point that people have made, you know, as you said, from time immemorial, is that it is just a slur upon your enemies. It's the worst thing because it's, if people say, if you say Hitler, you're invoking Godwin's law and you sound kind of like an idiot, right? But if you say fascism, it makes you sound a little clever. You know about the ideology and you're not directly saying Hitler, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sort of hinting at it, right? But what does it all mean? So what you, let me just clarify. Sure. What you're saying, yes. Moynihan, is yeah. because you are critical of Antifa, you support Donald Trump. Yes. And I'm a fascist, <laughs> actually. Uh, more like Salazar than I am like... Uh, He's Lucifer. better read than most fascists on fascism. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I know a bit about this thing and and it's frustrating to, to, to hear people talk about it all the time. And this guy who's got this new book out, uh, Jason Stanley or something like that. Is that his name? Jason Stanley? Uh-huh. Um, I'll just put it this way, and I'd like to have him on the show, and I, I, I suspect he's a nice guy and, and well-intentioned. He's very, very nice. And you've met him, and he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I opened his book and flipped the pages uh, to an argument that was basically making an argument of how one should abridge, why one should abridge speech in, in, in a moment when fascism is looming. Mm-hmm. And to do that, he used a quote from Joseph Goebbels, which is not a real quote. Oh. It is widely cited. It's kind of an over but three. Right, right it, it, look, it's a widely cited quote. And I spent a couple hours, I knew it was fake, and I tracked it down. 
And it is a real quote, but it's not from him. Well, I'm going to, I'll reach out to Jason after so, this. So, but see. this is the type of people you're dealing with yeah. is that these are political arguments. They're not historical arguments and it should offend historians. Um, and I, I think Timothy Snyder, people like that have forfeited their title as historians and they've just become political activists. And I think just to, uh, to uh, put a cap on, on this part of the conversation there's a market need for a hundred assholes on each side to fight each other in the streets. Yes. We're going to see this over the next couple of years. Someone will die. Yeah. There's already someone has yeah. died. Yes. There's there's someone already. else. Yes. Multiple. Someone else will die. More people will die. Sure. One, one other, two other people will die. Something like that. Hopefully won't get any more than that. Um, and I don't say that to minimize it. I say I that. Understand. I say that actually yeah. to say like, what the fuck are you people even doing? Stop LARPing. That's the absolute correct analysis of it is that this is, LARPing street violence. They don't. They don't even have like Mosley's like discipline from the 30s yeah. for fuck's sake. Like, but, but keep in mind also, and one final point on this. I know we're getting a little long in the tooth here on this on this issue, but keep in mind that you can look this up, and people people tend not to. It's like, oh my god, the street violence, just like there was in Berlin, and I mean, incidentally, it was it was in other places in Germany too, but mostly in Berlin from say you know. 1927 to the sort of thick of it in the early 30s and until 1933. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people died. I mean, you'd be shocked at how many people died. Um, in the street violence. Yes. I yeah. mean, I, I, you know, both both sides had martyrs uh, and they made films about them. They wrote books about them. And, you know, I mean, this is like the, the, the Nazi song, the party song, a song called Fana Hoch, like a, a flag flying high, was written about a kid who was killed in a street battle. These were really violent street battles in which people routinely died. And there died, these people were fighting these battles, were direct representatives of parties that were in the Reichstag and parties that were in parliament. They're not some sort of half, I mean, people are offended. We talked about it tonight, that, that this was a, at the Republican club. Yes, they shouldn't be inviting these people to this club. But these are people uniformed of the parties sitting in parliament doing battle on the streets. It's a very different situation. Well, we've, we have been going for a little while. There yeah, I should get out of here. Two, two things that I wanted to, <laughs> to quickly um, to touch on, if we could. Um, firstly, um, Elizabeth Warren took a DNA test, um, and everyone was very interested. Um, the, the president of the <laughs> United on. States. Hang Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I either have... <laughs> <laughs> We can cut the tape. I either have 10 minutes or I have forever. Okay. okay. So let's do 10. If I'm going we'll, we'll we'll to, I haven't, I have to roll too. I haven't no, paid we'll, anything for my we'll make it show, no, but if we'll I get there, ten. but, um, I think you should talk about Australia, about the Australian political system. Um, I, but I, you can talk about, the, yeah, no, we'll go, we'll go there. Yeah. Do, um, do, do a quick rant on why you hate DNA tests. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, Everyone is interested in, in this Elizabeth Warren business. Um, me, on the other hand, the only thing I'm interested in is the total, utter, complete nonsense that is genetic ancestry testing. Um, the notion that you can actually get sort of percentages of blackness, a Europeanness with respect to your genome, that you can get this precise understanding of who your ancestors are. Oh, wait, what, the, are. the claim isn't about blackness. It's about just uh, continent I just of origin. Said, I just said Europeanness. That's what no, I said. you said blackness and Europe. And oh, well, sure. Well, i both it's, things. It's but both tribe, things are nonsense. Tribe of origin, even uh, I hope it, I don't preempt. No, but you can tell when someone comes from Europe. But yeah, you it's not. But you can't really tell, even as you're measuring for Native Americanness, 
which is a phrase that no Native American uses, uh-huh. by the way, um, the difference between North America and South America. And it's, didn't that is a difference. Uh, even, by the way, didn't they use, and tell me, I don't understand this. Um, uh-huh. Somebody correct me on this because I, I don't understand what it means. They Didn't they use sort of DNA strands from South America? From well, This is just it. We don't, we don't actually know. All of these different ancestry, like that, yeah. all of these different ancestry testing companies have their own proprietary black boxes that they use when they are doing this testing. So she could be one 1,000 Peruvians doing these tests. When they give you the results, they give it to you with 50% certainties that they are correct about the way they are attributing it. When you send your sample to all of the different companies, there was a woman who just um, wrote a pretty extensive story on this. She sent her, her, um, her sample to several different companies and got back, actually not more, several, it was like six, and got back six different results. They were all kind of European, but they I'd were dramatically in, different compositions. I'd be interested compositions. in looking at the, at the details and, of and that. And we can, we can look at it, but the bottom line is that consumer, consumer ancestry testing is largely bullshit and there are many and that's many, not many a true statement scientific Ooh. Ooh. No, it's not true it's not true that we can we can adjudicate this t- we can adjudicate this afterwards if you'd prefer let's let's bring it um, well, how, how, how do you explain that both Super me cool. my husband God. my sister-in-law and uh, wait you're gay <laughs> Sorry, I love saying that. His husband uh, is a woman. We all, we all did the the, the twenty three and Me, and uh-huh. it, and, it, and it it perfectly comports with what my ancestral story is, as passed down by my parents. Mm-hmm. Polish, mm-hmm. Polish Jew. Well, there, uh, you right, know, are, little, little bits of, uh, of Northern European, little yeah. bits of Polish. So yeah. majority Polish genetic, Jew on my my mum's side. Do you want me to answer Irish. the question, or we want to just? No, I'll answer the question. Okay, go for it. Maybe <laughs> maybe your your family is uniquely honest because I don't. This is a terrible answer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like people bullshit. No, but that's, that's not. But that's, that's not a useful answer to the question he's asked. That is absolutely germane. No, but it, it is. It, it probably actually is the is the explanation. But because that's not because he thinks that, this is, that he, these systems don't work. Right. Right. No, that's not actually what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking I know it's about not what scientific you think you're bodies. Talking about, but I'm talking it might about be scientific what bodies who are critical of this of this technology, and they're there critical are scientific of the bodies who are critical of it because because people give too much too much credence to specifics. The genetic. Genetic variance with respect to geographic geographic areas. It's certainly possible for populations to be isolated from one another and as a consequence of that have certain genetic markers that seem to be generally sort of broadly common amongst the group of people. But those genetic markers aren't entirely unique to those populations. All they can give you is probabilities for yeah, different areas. It is entirely possible that they could get it right in some cases, and it's entirely possible that they could get it right in some broad general ways. But in terms of the sort of specific Camille, granular there are, kinds there are of insights that, that there are, there are, Elizabeth Warren was presenting and suggesting that she could of, drill of down into, and in terms of the specific percentages that are generally offered when they say you're 42% European, Camille, there are ge- there are These genes are that you've got in your body that notions. nobody would have if they hadn't, if they didn't have your. Descent. That is not true. That is absolutely true. no. Wow. It's just not true, Josh. It's not true. Jo- uh, in Josh terms has of genetic, <laughs> in terms of genetic, in terms Josh of genetic, in terms of genetic, yeah. in terms of genetic diversity, in terms of the composition of our genes, like everyone in this room, ninety nine point nine percent similar for the most part. Yeah. The notion of there being sort of unique. You're genetic, sounding like Kanye unique, now. The, no, I'm not. Is, I'm actually pseudoscience. I could finish it's if not, you'd like, and yeah, then you so could you call can. it pseudoscience. Yeah. You don't even know what I'm getting ready to say, Josh. Yeah. So you can't call it pseudoscience it. yet. Yeah. No, all I've said is that I think it's bullshit, and you won't let me explain how it's bullshit. You called it pseudoscience before I finished. Yeah. Well, up until but then. We keep talking going. then. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. We got five minutes. You were saying up until then. It was a lot of stress. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm saying, though, is in terms of the differences between these different groups, the things that are 
common, the things that are common amongst the group can totally appear in other places. Like in the United States, sickle cell trait is something that is that is routinely described as something that is common amongst black people. Kind of, sort of. What sickle cell trait happens to comport with is whether or not you come from a place where there is a high propensity to get uh, uh, malaria. And that is something that happens in Africa, as it does in various other parts of the world. And in all of those parts of the world, you'll see that same trait appear. And it's not necessarily appearing because people migrated from here to there. It's appearing because the differences between people can arise in various ways that have nothing at all to do with ancestry. And your relationship to someone might not show up in your genes at all. Your kids will get 50% of their genes from each of their parents, and it's not even clear they'll get the same 50% from both parents, in which case they could be kind of 20% related to one another in their genetics, which means that once you get a couple of generations out, you might run tests and find zero similarities whatsoever to people who are directly related to you. Your third cousin might have absolutely nothing in common with you with respect to your genes that suggests you're related. That's not thirteenth dimension <laughs> stuff. That's just this is the it's kind basics. of thirteenth dimension. But yeah. I was I was yeah. with it. Go all, all, all of that is basically true. Yeah, and and oh, it's all, uh, I thought it was bullshit pseudoscience. Wow. Well, it's, wow. I wish I, I, had, I, again. I, I wish we had the camera for that. <laughs> Give me a fucking red hat. I, Let's I, do this. I, I do. I do think you're 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 um, drawing a conclusion that isn't uh, justified by what you just said, though, because hmm. so. Eskimos are unlikely to have the sickle cell gene because they don't live in malarial areas. If the claim is that, uh-huh. if the claim is that there's something fundamental to our like uh, biology that mandates that we're going to have certain genes, then I agree with you that that's ridiculous. And part of the pushback against companies like Twenty Three and Me from the scientific community is that they do peddle this kind of slightly pseudoscientific sort of um, precision. Uh, precision, uh-huh. exactly. They're, they're just they're just claiming more than they can actually claim. Yes. But if you take the weak version of the argument, which I do, which uh, sci- which I think is scientifically valid, which it strikes me that you're also dismissing, then um, there are extremely strong correlations such that you can make kind of environmental and habitual arguments about where people came from with a high degree of certainty. And to say that that you can't make any assumptions with any degree of certainty because there's um, noise in the in the signal. I'm not saying you can't make any any assumptions. I am, in fact, talking about the level of precision. But I would say that it's even more complicated than that. The basis that they use when they're actually looking at the the base pairs and the sequences that suggest, oh, you came from there. It's complicated because they can only take that genetic information in their databases from people who currently live in various places. And as we know, people move and they go to different places. I mean, look, there's there's an easy way to figure this out, which which would be to to take 23andMe's um, data Uh and to map it onto um, people's parents' and grandparents' claims about things and then to inject a certain amount of uncertainty on the basis of what Matt was saying, which is that people probably lie about affairs. And see and see and see whether or not there's any weird, there's any well, correlation. Family I, lore, I think, is what he was hinting yeah. at. Oh, I thought if, he was implying that there could be. But no, there could also be in, in America, especially, and I don't know if this is the case now in Australia, but there's like like people have been BSing about their Indian heritage. Forever. I got it when I was a kid. Everybody did. I, I were like, you Cherokee? Uh, no, it was just uh, um, French Canadian Quebecois tribe that nobody knew what it was, but they were lying about it. But yeah, I mean, it's a common, that's a common thing. And I think that um, viewers, uh, viewers, listeners 
sometimes I do viewers, this is listeners, listeners will be happy that I know nothing about this subject because they get a break from me. Well, if yeah, only, if only they were viewers, they'd be able really. to behold my moustache. I know. They, if they were, if they were uh, viewers, they wouldn't have made it this far to hear both of you make fools of yourself <laughs> on a subject you both know nothing about. So I know more about this than you. Can, can, I, can I say this because Josh has to go and I have to go and I have some more drinking about to the do Prime it's Tuesday. Um, Good point. No, I want to say that um, I have a, um, <laughs> a some idiot wrote this this week, and it is everybody. It's the internet <laughs> because I, didn't, I everything I read this week was really dumb, and I can't even narrow it down. I spent most of the week sending screen, screenshots of things to my friends, <laughs> like literally hundreds of them this week, and I was like, the civilization's collapsed. I'm building a bunker, and now Matt Welch sent me something, which is an actual, somebody that wrote this, but so I want to say everybody sucks. There's about 7,000 carnies, uh, the best of which is probably Tim Carney. It's not, it's unsure because there's more carnies than we know about. Tim Carney who has 500 children. Uh, is this Liam Carney? Uh, his brother, John uh, Carney. Who's bad. actually a Carney. He's a Carney. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's the bad Carney. I like That's John. why he's a bad writer. But he's, he's a bad Carney. Uh, has a piece at Breitbart.com from a couple of days ago called uh, Anti-Trump Hate Could Be dragging down the American economy. Mm. And I'll just read the first, maybe two, possibly three paragraphs here. Are you going to read all of them? Because oh, No, because it's not that long. And <laughs> it gives you the idea. Of, yeah, this just is, read the fucking thing. This is how bad things are written. Retail sales for the month came in surprisingly weak, missing economist expectations. Despite a significant rebound in auto sales, one of the most startling results reported from the government's report on Monday was that sales in bars and restaurants fell 1.8% during the month. Next graph. There is some evidence, albeit necessarily anecdotal. <laughs> That's how you say there's no evidence. <laughs> that this is connected to left-wing anger directed at <laughs> Donald Trump and his supporters. Oh, yeah. huh. is ruining the economy. Last, la last one, because it's pretty good that if you yeah, built yeah. up an expectation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quote, why bother going out if you're going to risk being turned away yep. for wearing a Make America Great hat? Sure. Unquote. Yep. One Trump supporting New Yorker said. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking journalism, John yeah. Carney. You yeah. did it. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, Josh, do you have time yeah. for a parting shot? I do. I do. Uh, let me just make two uh, two very quick points. Oh, firstly, uh, I used to host a show on Discovery Science Channel uh, in the United States. Uh, it was a oh, people, show. people, people. So therefore, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love people, science, people, science, people, yeah. science, science, people. Uh, so therefore, I'm an expert on science, and I win the uh, debate with Camille. Um, <laughs> That's definitive, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, secondly, I before we leave, it would be it behooves me to mention uh, the last episode of this show that I listened to was uh, Michael, your wonderful uh, explanation of Sweden's. Uh, uh, electoral politics and sure. and and I hope you're being honest, but yeah, no, I am. Okay, I, I'm yeah. being totally Thank legit. <laughs> no, it was really it was really good. And um, just after I listened to it, I was traveling from Stockholm to Iceland. Oh yeah, on a plane. Yeah, and I looked around the plane and I was like, this. I think is the widest place that I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I'm about flying to land from Stockholm yeah. to Reykjavik. Yeah. No one, I mean, I was the black, I was the blackest person <laughs> on that plane. Yeah. Like everyone, like Sweden is the whitest country in the world yeah. with one exception, yeah. Iceland. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and it's going from The, the, the best bit is like when the, steward, the, the, the stewardess, I can't, you can't say it anymore, the flight attendant got on that thing and was like, you know, and, and I, you know, 
7B, we have a gay Jew. <laughs> and you, if you want to go pet him or pat him, <laughs> he might get turned on because I don't know about them, but we don't have them. In He's almost like a Negro. Um, <laughs> you know, no, honestly, everyone on the plane was basically, you know how sometimes Nordic people can be so white that you can almost yes, see yeah. through them. Like yeah. you can sort of, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like those fish whose hearts you can see. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you can see veins and things. It's like I was on an entire plane full of these yeah. people. I was like, wow. Yeah. No wonder Sweden's anxious about Muslims. Yeah, they yeah. are so, just one drop of, of brown. Yeah. Would... And, and then, then you can no longer see my organs. And that is bad for the country. So, I don't know what accent I, that is. Borat to sweet? Hey, what is going on? I am literally, it's like a Serbian accent. I've never heard a Swedish person talk like that. So, I, you followed. Uh, oh, Swedes. my God. Yeah. So, we should bounce out. Wait, yeah. <laughs> so, we're establishing that you're really black. Hey, do us, yeah. I'm so black. Um, and um, thank you very start. much for this totally empty bottle of oh, uh, fuck. Japanese. We didn't tell, yeah. Japanese it was whiskey. emptied halfway uh, through. Who got that for us? By Spencer Smith. Oh. No, it's Spencer. I love yeah, Spencer. I really best. do. I love Spencer. He's he's one of the best and most consistent um, fifth column fans. We got a lot. I got a lot of mail this week, and I'll end on this. A lot about the Dinesh D'Souza thing that I, just I talked about. Penned a piece of it to the end. So I had an, an an editor pull a cut of just that section on George Soros and on the anti-Semitism question, and um, I have it. And I'm going to post it, but I'm actually going to send it back to the other because I want it even longer than it is. It's eight minutes, but it's it, it was cut for something we were doing for the show, which just means it's mostly D'Souza going off. And I wanted to put back into it. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm hiccuping like fucking Andy Cap because <laughs> I'm drunk. Uh, but I wanted to put more of uh, our back and forth in it. But uh, coming soon... And um, I thank everybody okay. for 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 um, for emailing about it. I, I had intended to do an entire uh, piece about Australia's crazy electoral politics and what it teaches the rest of the world about Donald Trump, but I'll do that next time. I'm yeah. uh, I'm back in the United States. Uh, if you if you want more of my delightful um, uh, meanderings, <laughs> if you're in Australia, you'll hear me doing summer breakfast on uh, ABC Radio Sydney. Uh, and uh, if you want to subscribe, the People Versus mm. on Radio National. As an as as a podcast, and then also we the people live hashtag we the people all one word. Live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comrades, yeah. our favorite guest. I would say he's one of our favorite guests. Would I you say I'm so. a friend? Oh, yeah, definitely one hand. Yes, I'm going to say I'm like, Josh Zeps. Josh Zeps with an Smart. S. Thank you. you Nazis. Funny. Oh, S. and follow me on Twitter and where it's J-O-S-H-Z-E. Yeah, on Twitter it's a Z, but in yeah. general it's an S. Bye. 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 We, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.